you need to understand that the whole point is growth. Your talent and intelligence are not fixed, they're malleable. And you need to stop asking yourself, what's the least you can do to get good? And you need to start asking yourself, what's the most you can bear to become great? Hello and welcome back to Short Story Long. This week is an interview that I was very pleasantly surprised by, I must say, um, because I hadn't done an insane amount of research on this guest. I had looked him up to make sure of sort of what he did and have some basic talking points, but I didn't realize how good he would be at giving information and how much he has truly studied success and the successful brain and how to be positive and how to just accomplish your goals, set up your goals and accomplish your goals. The guest is Tom Bilyeu. Um, he created Quest Nutrition, which is a massive, massive, massive company. Um, and now he, he, he has a thing called Impact Theory, which is a production studio that he hopes to turn into a studio larger than Disney. And after talking to him and having this conversation, I don't doubt that he can make it happen if anyone can. Um, I feel like I left the conversation incredibly motivated. I instantly went to his Impact Theory website and looked up every book he said to read and ordered them. Um, and it was something that really stuck with me and I just thought about it for the whole rest of the week. Um, about all the things that he said and the way that he approaches things and the way that he's really got this stuff down to a bit of a science. So that being said, I'll go ahead and let him tell you. We'll get right into it. Um, as always, don't forget to go leave me some feedback on the iTunes store or the app, uh, I, the podcast app on your phone. Give me five stars, please. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you'd like to see different. It's very, very important to me and to this show that you leave me some feedback. Keep telling your friends. Keep reposting. Keep commenting on my Instagram. Keep letting me know what you think. This thing is still growing very fast, but it's still growing in it. Um, every bit of repost or suggestion to a friend or response to me about what you like or what you don't like or who you'd like to see is very 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 helpful so please keep all of that coming um also go check out my new youtube page youtube.com slash drama drama i post all the videos and also some clips from these podcasts i'm going to start doing a lot more content from the podcast i've been starting to do video blogs and um, there's just also some random young and reckless content on there so go Subscribe to that. Check out the videos. Let me know what you think. Also, youngandreckless.com. Use the promo code SSL for 40% off all full price items. That is it. I'm trying to make my intros a little shorter. I like to get to rambling. So here we go. Short story long. Tom Billiard. hardest part is figuring out what you want to master. Focus on your product. Can you tell somebody that they suck? You gotta just go for This it. is exactly what I want to do for a living. You can't even tell somebody that their breath stinks. You know what I mean? It could take your whole life and then you find your worth. The product is number one. If it's scares you, you should probably do it. Good content is good content. That is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life. Alright, here we are. Welcome back to Short Story Long. We have a very special guest today. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that you're my first guest uh, with a company valued over a billion dollars. Is that accurate? And certainly accurate that for your part. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. my part. Yeah. Well, my part's accurate too. Then, so my <laughs> first, my first billion plus 
dollar guest, Tom Bilyeu from Quest Nutrition. Welcome. Thank you, man. It's Welcome exciting to... to be here. Yeah, I'm and... really, uh, I'm excited for this one. Dude, me too. Yeah. I, you have been on my radar for a very long time. So first of all, really? I used to watch the show. So yep. we'll start with that. Yep, thank Fantasy you. Factory was a huge inspiration for me in terms of just closing your eyes and imagining a world as crazy as you want. Yep. And then actually opening them and making that become a reality. Like I just loved that. Yep. And then really for people that watch the show religiously, which I did, yep. you see Young and Reckless be born. Yeah. And so that was cool. And then to watch you actually turn it into a brand. And yeah. the brand began to have its own ethos. And I remember when you had to jump out of that uh, construction building, building yeah. onto the pad. Man. And when Rob said, you've got to live the brand. Yeah. I loved that. I so thought that true. was so smart. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. That's incredible feedback. And I, I think that I always like... I love the show and I and it was this crazy platform to launch the brand off of and all this stuff but it was always this like burning desire of mine mm. to first make it a real brand and then second show that it was a real brand. So I think that if I have any insecurity left it's still from wanting everyone to know not in a douchey way but to know that this is real and this right. is my life and this is who i am so that sort of compliment is like the best compliment you can give me oh, dude, you know what i mean sure yeah it was a crazy uh a crazy way to start a brand and i was like i'm insanely thankful and appreciative for how it went but it created this like because when you saw it on the show it was that was really me the first time i had shown it to anyone you right. know and the way we went about it was I didn't I didn't have it prepared for season one of the show and I was devastated because I thought I had just missed my whole life mm. opportunity to create a brand. And so on the second one it had just was just barely ready and I printed samples just in time for uh, that season to start. And that was really like here it is to the world and then it just like exploded, you know, and it was sort of this like instant like jumping into the highway and trying to catch up right away. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's been an interesting journey journey for young and reckless you know? i love that man and this is actually the first time we're meeting face to face but i don't know if yeah. you were involved or not but you guys used to send us a bunch of swag at quest yes and i think you guys sent stuff to us too yeah right? yeah so i i used to see your brand all day every day That's like there amazing. were so many people on the team that had a hat or a shirt or whatever it was really cool so That's there's so even though we're just now meeting it really feels like You've been sort of this ever-present yeah. presence in my world for, I don't know, God, it's like six, seven years that's now. So that's pretty huge. crazy. That's my goal is just to sort of infiltrate as many people's worlds as I possibly Very can. Smart. You know what I mean? Very Slowly, good strategy. Get into your world. Um, so let's get into it, man. The reason why I'm so excited about this one is because you are no stranger to podcasts. You have your own. Yes. What's your podcast called? Impact Theory. Impact Theory. You have your own YouTube show. You do a lot of this stuff. Um, so not only do you know obviously how to talk and how to communicate with the audience but you also have a very good inspiring reason for doing it you know what i mean and and you're you're doing a really good job at like connecting with people and interviewing the right people and just trying to sort of i don't know inspire and motivate and I, that's just huge for me right i'm brand new and trying to get into that sort of thing and you seem to have it pretty down so i'm excited for it awesome man um where are you from, Tom? I am originally from Tacoma, Washington. Wow. So uh, it's 
unfortunately famous for what they call the aroma of Tacoma. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an industrial town. It, certainly when I was growing up, I'm not sure now if that would hold true as much because of all the tech that happened in Seattle. It's kind of come south a bit. Got it. Um, but growing up, the reason for that smell was the paper mill and Warehouser was huge. And so... Was it like a smoky... What type of smell? You didn't... Uh, it's uh, it's not a pleasant smell. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, it's not something that you're like, oh, that's lovely. You don't miss it. Yeah, you don't miss it. Okay. And um, it it's sort of where I grew up, which was actually sort of outside the city limits itself, was bordering on rural. Okay. So where I grew up, you had to have an acre of land to build a house. There weren't a lot of apartment complexes. So it was... Um, it felt small town to me until I started meeting people who are really from small towns. Yep. So I, I yep. realize now that no, I didn't grow up like that, but um, it, yeah, wasn't exactly a metropolis from which many successful people come. So. Yeah, yeah. And what, um, what sort of things were you into? Like, what do you do there for entertainment? Um, the things that I were really into as a kid, yeah. I was a huge wannabe skateboarder. Yep. I'm absolutely terrible at it. I don't know that I've ever actually gotten all four wheels off at the same time. Yep. I thought I did, and I thought I was really good at ollieing until yeah. somebody goes, you know that not all four of your wheels ever come uh, off the yeah. ground at the same time? I'm like, that's not possible. It's literally not possible. Because it feels so they, like you're at least two feet. hundred percent. You know, you're like, I'm killing Two it. feet or more. Yeah. And uh, so they were like, we'll record you. Yeah. And they recorded me and it just they changed. Just literally like, oh, never. Yeah. 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 It was a little bit demoralizing. Yeah. So, but I, I skated quite a bit for quite a while. Um, and, but my real thing, my real passion was stand up comedy. Really? And so, yeah, yeah. That was, that was where it all started for me. And all through high school, wow. I thought I was destined to become a stand up comic. Where did that come and, from, do you think? Um, probably some early wins in the family dynamic of where do you fit in? Like, what's that thing that you're good at? Yeah. Um, and I was a peacemaker. So I always wanted to make people happy. That just yeah. made me happy. And so I, I've always loved language and you put storytelling language and a desire to make people happy together and you sort of naturally get yeah. a comic. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was a time where like Eddie Murphy was big and stuff. So there was easy access to some really big performances, which yeah. gave me that taste. And then my sister was amazing at sports and I was not. And so I needed to find something that led me to speech and drama. And yeah. so... Then I just got into that world and found that because I had already started trying to make my own family laugh, it was sort of the natural move to make other people laugh. Yeah. Uh, and then that just ballooned until I was, I've actually done stand-up comedy here in LA at the Laugh Factory. I did- uh, Holy cow. Uh, it ended up changing my life. I did one night open mic um, on the Laugh Factory stage. Do you know who Mitch Hedberg is? I know the name. All right, the, truly for me, the funniest comedian ever to live uh -huh. and uh it's an open mic night and it starts with all these bozos like myself that go up and are trying to cut their teeth and learn and get good Can at stand-up comedy yeah? quickly sorry are you scared shitless um because laugh factory look if you put me on the stage at the laugh factory in la here's the funny thing i would be scared now I wasn't scared then. Okay. I was nervous, but yeah. I wasn't scared. Okay. So, and I had done enough stand-up comedy at that point that it's like, I sort of knew this is my moment to shine. Like, yeah. this is actually where I do well. Yeah. Now, I have later in life developed crushing anxiety, but yeah. that came from always being out of my element. But comedy at the time was really my element. Wow. So, um, the way that it works is whoever is the last one to show up for open mic night is the first one to go. 
and now I'd never done it before ever. My comedy is quite edgy. Yeah. A lot of swear words, a lot of telling stories where you border on like the inappropriate. Like that was my whole shtick. Yeah. And so they make the announcement, hey everybody, you're gonna go up in the mic. Just remember, um, you can't do any racy topics and no swearing. And by the way, I'm the first person so they just to go. Crushed up. your whole so set like, right before you go. Uh, <laughs> like, what the hell do I do now? I literally like my whole style of comedy is predicated on swearing and saying inappropriate things. Yeah. So from the the distance of sitting in my seat to walking up to the stage, I had to write a new routine. So I've got what like eight seconds. So it was like, whoa. And you still up. didn't want to run out. No, no, no. It, that actually didn't even occur to me. Kudos that to you was, for that confidence. That man. oh, <laughs> confidence, or I, I will say, what it really was is ambition. Yeah, it it was the thing I wanted to do, and this was the step that I had to take yeah. to do it. I so. just always say, and, I, and sorry for the listeners, I know it's repetitive, but I've had some comedians on here, and I just always say that, like, I don't know, man. I think that it's probably to me the most scary profession in the world. Like, I, I can't think of anything that I would, if I was forced to do any profession tomorrow, I think stand-up comedy would be the most intimidating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway. But so leading, leading up to that stage, though, I've had, God, I've, I had been at a obviously very amateur level, been doing stand-up comedy since I was like 13. Yeah. So, and by that point, I'm like 22. So I've had almost 10 years yeah. of like performing and stuff. So yeah. I've got all of that at my back. Now, most of my performing was like at the lunchroom table. Don't imagine me on <laughs> yeah. stage everywhere. I had done stage Sunset stuff. Boulevard, but, just, uh, yeah, that, that was a whole nother level. Yeah. So I get up there, I do my routine. I'm funny, but I'm not like knocking anybody dead. And I sat down and thought, okay, for having to sort of improv my routine rather than being able to do a prepared routine and for not being able to leverage my normal comedy, which is very edgy, yeah. like I'm, I'm happy, that was a win. And so that's me sitting back down. Then they, you finish all the other open micers and you basically clear out, because 99% of them are just horrific. Yeah. And so you're clearing out the audience and everybody's there to see their friend. Once their friend is performed, they leave. Yeah. And then real comedians use that opportunity to come out and practice new material. And so you get these guys like one the Kim Wayans uh, from In Living Color, yep. if you remember that. She was there that night. A couple other famous comedians there that night. I don't remember who they were. And there's only one more person left to go. And my friend and I who were there together, just, you know, we're like, let's go, man. Like, I cannot take another <laughs> yeah. one of these. Like, even though they're famous, like they're they're trying material and yep. most of it's failing yep so i'm like i just can't take this anymore so we are literally standing to get up this guy comes on stage he's the manager of the next comedian he says guys look before you go anywhere i promise you the man who's about to walk on stage is the funniest man in america you're not going to want to miss this and i thought all right it's one last guy yeah. this guy's hyping it up fine let's sit down and see it and the guy he introduces is some scrawny long blonde hair white guy who looks like he kind of wants to be anywhere else he's got like dark shades on closes his eyes a lot and his name is mitch hedberg and i'd never heard of him uh -huh. and he does this really interesting and in fact anybody watching the show at the end of this episode mm -hmm. go look up mitch hedberg mm -hmm. and he does his jokes always come in like two lines so it's set it up knock it down yeah and halfway through his set I am laughing so hard <laughs> that I actually think to myself, can you laugh until you die? Because, and I started getting like worried because I'm like, if his next joke is as funny as the ones <laughs> like, that have led up to this, I may actually die yeah. like here in the audience. Yeah. And it, it was that funny. And wow. unfortunately, a couple years later, he dies of a heroin overdose. But it was like, 
He was so funny. And so I walk away from that going, there's where I'm at, yeah. which is like serviceable. Yep. In a living room, I crush. Yeah. Really funny in a living room. Yep. On stage, I'm okay. I could get better. But to get as good as Mitch Hedberg, I would have to dedicate my entire life. Yep. And at that moment, I wanted to leverage comedy as a way to get into filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like the, it's, it, for me, it's like a, a stopover, right? Yeah. And to dedicate myself the way that Mitch Hedberg has clearly dedicated himself, yeah. it, it will take everything I have in years of my life and I'm not prepared to do that. So yeah. I'm very grateful he saved me years of wasted effort that's you know i love that way to look at it too because uh first of all how old were you when that happened i think 22 because i'm so big on um being realistic with your dreams and i think that a lot of people um waste not to be dramatic but sometimes their lives um chasing a dream that isn't attainable and I just think that I don't know what the system is or what the advice would even be to sort of uh, learn to get realistic with yourself. But I think that sometimes those moments that some people look at, at as like devastatingly crushing your dreams are dead mm. are actually such a, you know, you just had a really realistic moment with yourself and you said, look, I'm not going to be that guy and I need to switch it up a little bit. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's so important. It's interesting. So you and I actually see this very differently. And you really? see, yeah, you see like something that. in my story that I actually don't see. So okay. here's what was going on internally for me. I don't think people should be realistic with their dreams. Yep. I think they should be honest about what they want. Yes. So you can become anything you want to become. Anything. Mm -hmm. I could have beaten Mitch Hedberg at his game. Mm -hmm. But the honest answer was looking in at what I'm passionate about, what I want to pursue. The yep. answer was not stand-up comedy. Yeah. Stand-up comedy was simply something that I was good at. Yep. Now, not on his level good, but I was good at. Yep. And so if I wanted to become great, I could have. I yeah. could have put the time and energy into it. So it wasn't me looking at it and saying, oh, this is an unrealistic path. It was me looking at it and saying, I'm not willing to dedicate myself like that to get good enough yeah. in order to execute at that. Yeah. And so that to me is the really important question. So let me connect where I think that the two we can compromise is I think that your gift in that moment was the uh, being able to see the full vision. You know what I'm saying? I just think that people say, I want to be a comedian and, and one day that'll hopefully lead to acting or to mm. film. And they go and they have that moment and they just say, oh, I'm just, I'll never be anything. I'm not good enough. It's like you had this clarity of what you honestly wanted. And like you said, did you want to put the work in to get there? And I just think a lot of people's dreams are very close-minded and mm. very, all right, comedian to acting. And you have that moment and it's not, you don't feel good enough and then that starts to build and then that becomes a problem. And then, I don't know, it just sounded like you just have to be clear, you know? Yeah. And you've got your finger on something really, really important, yeah. which is, are you willing to put in the work? Because they're so locked onto that path yeah. of comedian to actor and they're not thinking about what they actually want out of the scenario, which may be, they probably want wealth and fame. Yeah. If we're honest, mm -hmm. which now you've got to ask yourself a whole different question about why that's so important to you. Yeah. When you're driven, like if you said, I want wealth and fame because like um, uh, Angelina Jolie leveraged her celebrity to really do amazing things, working yep. with the UN, going around the world, trying to bring attention to some pretty amazing um, things that needed a lot of attention. Yep. 
if that's why you're doing it, now you're being driven by something that's other focused, yeah. that is about helping other people. And if your skill set happens to be that, the thing that you want to get best in the world at is being an entertainer and you know that you want to leverage it for XYZ, okay, yep. great, that's fine. Yep. Um, there's actually a, an acronym that I think is really useful for people here when identifying. So the, the, the struggle is always between grit or yeah. quit, yeah. right? And so grit's really hot right now. I gotta have grit. Angela Duckworth wrote this amazing book about developing your grit and how you can have that thing that you need to push through to make your dreams a reality, right? So just take what you've done with Young and Reckless. Yeah. More days have been hard than have been easy. Yeah. And it's grit that sees you through, right? Because the hard days suck and you actually wish that today were unlike it is, right? Yep. Yep. And so in those moments, it'd be way easier to just go work for somebody else, let them deal with the days that suck and you just sort of punch in, punch out. But you didn't do that. Yeah. You put your head down, you did the work, you got better, you pushed through all that stuff. Okay, that's grit. Yep. But the question is, when does it actually make more sense to quit at something? Because yep. quitting a path, comedian to actor, which is what I did, yep. That made sense. I looked at the reality of the path, yeah. which was not my goal, yeah. right? I was trying to get into filmmaking. Why did I want to get into filmmaking? I think filmmaking is the single most potent way to affect people's psychology. Yeah. And what I want to do is pull people out of the matrix. Yeah. Okay, that's that's my mission in life, yeah. is to pull people out of the matrix. So if I'm saying, okay, I want to pull people out of the matrix and I'm working backwards from that and I think the path is going to be uh, I'm gonna be a good comedian, which is gonna get me um, on a TV show or a film, and then I'm gonna leverage that to direct, which is what I actually wanted to do, because I wanted to tell a certain type of story. Yep. I looked at the path and said, okay, that's not the right way to the path, yep. or that's not the right path to get where I wanna go to the goal. So I quit that path. Yep. Now, as somebody who has developed an insane amount of grit, you begin to ask yourself, do I, am, do I wanna quit this because I'm being lazy? and it really is what I should yeah. stick with, mm -hmm. or am I quitting it because I've really accurately assessed the situation? So um, I, I forget the researcher's name, but they came up with this acronym WOOP, W-O-O-P. Yep. So the W is wish. This is where most people live. They wish for something. They yep. fantasize about being rich and famous, whatever. Yep. The O is the outcome, yep. and they never take their wish and make it an outcome, meaning specifically, what do you want? You want to be rich and famous as an actor, a comedian, like yep. what entrepreneur, like what is it that you want to do? And then paint that picture really specifically. Now, the reason they need to do that is there is a fascinating psychological principle that happens where the more, get ready for this, uh -huh. the more you think about your dream, yeah. the more you focus on it, the less likely you are to achieve it. Why? Why? Because you pacify yourself. There's a part of your brain, the same part that makes watching a movie so thrilling because you forget that it's not real. Yep. You, you're actually there, man. Like you lose sight of the fact, these are just actors. They're not actually at risk for dying or for whatever is going on in the movie. So because there's part of your brain that cannot tell the difference between fantasy and reality, yeah. the more you fantasize about achieving that goal, you actually become pacified and don't take the actions because you already have the emotional response of having it. Yeah. So you need to That's put the. Uh, it's, they've done tons of so research. Because it's so opposite of so many. So many people tell you make a dream board and vision. Do you believe in having a dream board and 100%. visualizing? One hundred percent. Why? But I believe in it in the way that I believe in when I go out and drink with my wife. Mm -hmm. We get into this amazing cocoon. Yeah. The rest of the world falls away. Our inhibitions are lowered, so we're just talking on a level that we don't normally talk. Right. It's yeah. amazing. So, but now if you extrapolate out and go, well, then alcohol must be amazing full stop. You realize how quickly that devolves into an alcoholic lifestyle and nothing else matters. You're destroying your health and your relationships. Yeah. So when I drink, I am hyper aware that I'm playing with a gun. Yeah. 
okay? So you have to be super fucking careful about certain things. Wishing is like that. It actually is amazing. So the dream board is a gun. The dream board is a gun. Perfect. And you can use that, envision it. It's amazing. And it is the thing that forces you to go, okay, now how do I actually achieve it? And it's such a motivating thing that you have the grit and the passion to see through all the difficult and boring days that are inevitably coming for you yeah. as you try to make that a reality, right? Yeah. So you need that vision. Like you need to know what you're working towards. Yep. But if all you do is spend time with the vision and you never execute, yep. now you've got a problem. So my thing is only execution matters. Yep. So in terms of what I reinforce in myself and the things that I allow myself to reward myself for, I only reward myself for performance, for executing, for yeah. moving forward. So if you do that, then the vision board is really strong. Yeah. If you don't do that, it it will be the thing that pacifies you enough to 20, 30, 40 years go by and you've done nothing yeah. other than fantasize. So remind me what the, just what are the W-O-O-P? So that was the first two. So you've got wish, yeah. then you've got outcome, which okay. is exactly what you want. So I don't just want to be rich and famous. I want to build a clothing company. It's going to be called Young and Reckless. I'm going to paint a certain lifestyle. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get um, people that have been successful in sports and stuff. Do you remember when you did your $25,000 briefcase of cash? I sure do, man. We're about to bring it back. Awesome. Because now I'm going to bring it back. Sorry, I keep derailing. No, please. um, We're going to bring it back more in line with what this is. So uh, more in line with starting a company or going on a trip that you always wanted to go on or you know what I'm saying? Because I I think that that was really, really cool. But the thing that never, that I never loved about it internally was the lack of meaning, right? Of course, everyone wants 25 grand, but if you can really make it, I don't need you to send me a business plan. I don't want to do all that, but I want to really feel like I can document after it's all over that somebody fulfilled a dream with it. And that's the one thing that was missing from it. So right. we're about to bring it back, but that's going to be the critique. That's interesting. Yeah, I love that. I'll be very, I'll be watching very intently to see if you can pull that off. Oh uh, yeah, because that's why we haven't done anything like that. It yeah. generates so much attention, but the real juice to be the brand you want to be yeah. is they've got to go on and do something with it. Yeah. and most of them are going to fail because they're not it's yet hard. prepared to leverage that money effectively. But that's the story, right? So for me, my. Uh, my outcome in that scenario was, yes, I wanted to start a clothing company to not have to do reality TV my whole life and to make a bunch of money. But the bigger picture was I saw, I say this over and over, I saw from moving to LA and being around opportunity and seeing that it was possible that there's such a better life available to people, right? I didn't know that it was available to me. And there's a million trillion people that don't realize it's available to them. So my goal is with Young and Reckless was, how do you create a clothing brand, make it successful, make money, but how do you inspire people to go find that thing, right? Whether it's starting a business or that you just want to save up as much money as you can and go to Fiji and cliff dive, right? Maybe that's what you want to do. Right. It's inspiring the, all of those. And so that's what led me as I mature and get a little bit better and force myself to get better at talking into a microphone. That's the purpose also of this podcast is to interview all these different people, athletes, adventure people, entrepreneurs, to show that it's possible. I want them to listen to this, and when it's over, I want them to say, oh, I'm not that different from Tom, right. you know? And this guy created a billion-dollar business. That's something that these kids think that, or these young people think that is absolutely unattainable until you just make it relatable, right? right. So just connecting with your, with your strategy there, that was my bigger picture, was how do you inspire other people to go do the same thing? So if one day I can sit back and I can say, I created this $100 million uh, 
clothing company that also has supported this many dreams, helped mm -hmm. this many kids start companies, blah, 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 media, podcast, whatever, whatever. That to me is a fulfilling outcome, right? Hell yeah. Okay, sorry. You keep leading me off. I keep going. I keep getting so fired up by your things that I'm going off on my own train. So keep going. So let me just finish the, the acronym. So yep. W-O, we've already covered that. The second O is um, obstacle. So what's going to be the hard part? Yep. So you've got your wish. You know what the outcome is. And now identify what is going to be hard in there. Yep. And then the P is the plan. So, okay, knowing all of those things, exactly how do I execute? And then the way to tell whether this is something you should be gritty about or you should quit is when you look through the W-O-O-P, if you feel energized, like, whoa, I could really do this, yeah. then it's something that you should keep going. You've got the energy, the passion, the enthusiasm. If when you do that exercise, you come out the other side and realize, Jesus, this is so far beyond what I yeah. am capable of, what I want to do, then that's you know your subconscious yeah. telling you this is definitely not for you. Yeah, I think you just have it so clear. And, it, and when you put it that way, it's so clear. We're saying the same thing. What I'm saying is kids don't realize the difference of not having the grit to do it or just not being built to do it and moving on. Like there's so much peace and freedom. You could move on to such a better life where you are fulfilled and it is something that's worth putting in all that time and effort. It's like growing up and wanting to be in the NBA and peaking at five foot two and still spending the next 10 years trying to be in the NBA when right. you could have moved on and done other things. So that's all that I'm saying. I, I don't encourage anyone to like abandon a dream. Um, I just think there's a, the way that people are educated, there is a lack of reality of carving out what it takes to succeed in that dream. And can you do it? Like you just said. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. So let's let's ride down the five foot two path for a second. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you want to be in the NBA. Your yep. name is Muggsy Bogues. Yep. Or Spud Webb. Yep. And you're hella short, but you still want to be in the NBA. To me, what people need to do is not say, "Am I naturally gifted enough to do this? Is this you know sort of what I was put on Earth to do? Is this going to be an easy path?" But to say, "Am I prepared?" to do all the things that I'll need to do to be one of the best in the world at this. Yep. And if the answer is yes, then do it. And if the answer is no, then don't. Now, I put it into a frame of, okay, what happens if that person, let's say they're 5'2", and there are two different things that they're equally passionate about that they're willing to work their ass off for to break themselves in half to make come true, yep. then do the one that it doesn't matter that you're 5'2". Your life will be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's only one thing, like if your universe has been totally captivated by being a basketball player and going down that world, yeah. then I say go for it with everything you have. And everyone is going to tell you that it's absolutely ridiculous. You shouldn't do it. But how many great people hear that first? Yeah. Now, you need to acknowledge the truth of your situation. So for instance, if you're five foot two and the person whose game you're trying to mimic is Shaquille O'Neal, yeah. you're just an idiot. Yeah. Right? That doesn't make sense. Like yeah. there's no logic in that. You're not gonna be able to, um, you don't have the physical talents to match that. So if you're five foot two, you want to go find other players that were short. You want to find out what positions did they play. You want to find out how do they practice, what do they do? Um, did they work on a vertical leap so that they could still get, you know, above the rim? Did they, you know, were they focusing on dunking or were they outside shooters? Like, how do I fill a hole that isn't being filled? Like, yeah. how do I 
turn, and Jordan used to say this, how do I turn my weakness into a strength? So is there a way for me as a five foot two person to let that become an advantage? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then that's what you exploit and you go on to have the career. And then my thing is, look, maybe you're never able to be um, somebody who wins six championships. Maybe you're not gonna be Michael Jordan. Like maybe that's just given your physical hand that you were dealt, maybe that's never gonna be possible. But let's even backtrack. Let's say you never even make it all the way to the NBA, but you become um, famous on YouTube because you, for somebody sort of in your height, yeah. you can do extraordinary things, gain the attention of people, get sponsorships, build a following, but it's still you playing basketball, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is don't get hung up on a path. Like if you think your yeah. path to feeling totally fulfilled um, artistically as a basketball player or feeling like you're getting to be in the center of that world that you find so interesting, like there are a thousand other ways to do it than yeah. just playing in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. to me, it's about realizing what in and of the moment. Yeah do you enjoy? Yeah. And so what the question I started asking myself as an entrepreneur is, what would I wanna do and love every day, okay? Not just some end result, but every day, what would I love, yeah. even if I were failing? Mm -hmm. Once you know what you'd love, even if you're losing, yeah. go do that, Like, yeah. right? Like if the guy's 5'2", and everyone's like, you're never going to make it, and he never goes to make it, mm -hmm. but every fucking day, mm -hmm. he is loving his life, yeah. and literally can't believe he gets to do this. Yeah. Like I heard you, um, uh, you were interviewing somebody and they were saying that, uh, oh yeah, like when I, they were first starting to, to consider doing a podcast and they said, you know, whenever I asked somebody about their podcast, they were just saying, oh, it's the most fun that I have. Yeah. And that to me is like, okay, maybe this ends up, you know, building an audience and maybe that ends up being something that I can leverage and monetize, or maybe it's just fun. Yeah. Maybe it's just something that I love. Yeah. And I think that gets lost in the narrative of the entrepreneur yeah. and that, that I really hope people put back. I agree a trillion percent. And I think that, um, I agree with you across the board. I think that I, it, I, the way that I said it and say it is just a lot more of the kind of cut and dry, like if it's not your thing, move on. Right. You say it in a way where like, like I wish that there was, uh, there was a class in school that taught what you just said, right? I think that the value of what you just said is insane, you know, but people are just aren't taught that clarity on like do it or don't it's just like you sort of guess and that's why i hate when people there's this huge message of just dream you can be anything just right. dream and there's just so many gaps or, or so many holes in between that and actually acting on it and how you do it and even the way that you said maybe you're not in the nba maybe you become a huge you don't know what your path how it's going to play out right. you could end up making millions of dollars a different way but still playing basketball you don't know until you try but people and a lot of times young people you see one outcome you say mba is it and that's what i'm going to do or i'm going to be a singer or i'm going to be and it's just so narrow and then the world just beats on you right because it does anyway it does even if you're doing exactly what you love but if you're if you have a really really tough dream you're going to get beat on over and over and then you're going to become bitter and then you're going to be jaded and then you're going to hate the world and you know uh, work a job that you hate and it's going to be miserable and that's where a lot of these people i feel like get you get misled. You don't get taught the right way to go about it. And I think that they think that it's so unattainable that it is just this fantasy dream. It's not, there's not a step by step plan of action of how to do it, you know? Dude, and that scares me.
I mean, yeah. that straight scares me. This is this like if I have a message to get out to the world, yeah, it is very simply your dream is irrelevant. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What matters is what do you do every day? Yeah. What are you actually trying to get good at? What are you prepared to become the greatest in the world at? Yeah. Right? Like, don't expect grand success if you're not prepared to become the greatest in the world at that, right? Like to to be really honest, I am trying to be the greatest interviewer the world has ever seen really that's the only thing that wakes me up like what are you doing if you don't want to be the best i don't understand you now i get it yeah not everybody wants that life and i always tell people i'm a filtering mechanism most people should not listen to me they should not take my advice because if what you want is a stress-free life i'm not your guy yeah i am not your guy Mm -hmm. that that life doesn't speak to me it doesn't call to me there's nothing in it that i find interesting I want to play on the world stage. I scale is my fascination. Mm-hmm. I want to see how far we can scale things, ideology, all of that. I used to ask people when I was interviewing them, there are two paths before you. Path one, you can help one person. You totally change their life. They know you did it. They thank you. They, man, they give the eulogy at your funeral and talk about how much you impacted their life. They're crying. Like you've just touched this human being in a way that's just utterly profound. And they will go on to tell other people about you. Like songs are going to be written about your contributions. Like that's path one. Yep. You only helped one person. Yeah. Path two, you help a million people, but they don't even know who you are. Yeah. So you created a system, you did something that allowed just millions of lives to be changed forever and for the better because of something that you did put in motion whatever yeah to the question i'm trying to get to is is what you're after connection with another human being or is it scale and like infrastructure change yeah i fall into the camp of scale mm-hmm. so when i speak that's the advice that i'm giving right so not everybody wants to be a millionaire. Even if they think they do, they're probably falling prey just to like a, a lifestyle that's being painted for them. Yep. The reality is we all want to feel fulfilled, feel fulfilled yep. in the moment, yep. right? And what I tell people is the game you're playing, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. the game you're playing is not wealth creation. It's mm-hmm. really not. The game you're playing is brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. I could give you $7.4 billion, but if you felt like your life was worth living and you wanted to commit suicide, what possible good does that money do you? Yep. And conversely, I could strip you of everything and make you beg for your, your, your bowl of rice every night. But if you felt alive and you could see only the beautiful things in life and you had friends around you who loved you and supported you, what does it matter that you're broke? Yep. Right? That's the game. The game is brain chemistry. Do you have any advice for somebody who may be somewhere in between the bowl of rice and the seven billion? Um, who who just heard that and said, oh, I don't know if I feel alive. How do I how do I wake up? You've 100%. Literally, the mission in my life is to pull people out of the matrix, to wake them up. Yep. Um, and to me, that comes down to um, what I call this is water. So a guy named David Foster Wallace gave a speech, look it up, mm-hmm. uh, called This is Water. And he talked about how your belief system, your mindset is so ever present in your life, mm-hmm. it's invisible. You don't even realize that it's there. Mm-hmm. And it is the operating system by which you run all the programs of your life. So once you become aware of all these beliefs, all these sort of base assumptions, and you were giving some great ones about what it's like to grow up in Ohio, 
and and you didn't use these words, but essentially you were saying the base belief system that you have is that good life that you see, it's not yours to have. It's not for you. Right? And so people just keep reinforcing that. Now, nobody thinks they're reinforcing a belief system that will then have a knock-on effect about what people believe about themselves, what they choose to try, yeah. like the sort of perceived limits, right? They, they don't think about that. To them, it is just an obvious truth that that's for people that live in Hollywood or New York. That's not you. Yeah. You're... You don't even, you don't even understand, like, it's exactly what you're saying, but you don't even understand that it is happening. It's like your brain does not allow itself to think that maybe that's worth a try. You know what I'm saying? 100%. And so so that is that concept of this is water. You have to become consciously aware. And now that I've told you the concept, like anybody listening to this should do an audit of their own life and say, okay, what are all the beliefs? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? If you're optimistic, you have chosen, it's not genetic, you've chosen to believe that you live in a friendly universe, that good things can happen to you, that if you try, you might just succeed, and that if you fail, it's probably not the end of the world, and you could make something good of it. If you're pessimistic, again, it's not genetic, Mm -hmm. you've chosen to believe, and I'm sure like your parents probably handed it to you, and that's why it feels so genetic, but You've chosen to embrace that the world's sort of working against you, that life's a little too hard, it's very unfair, it's certainly not fair to people like you that grew up where you grew up, or you know that are in a wheelchair like you, or undereducated like you, like whatever the myriad that were abused like you, whatever the myriad excuses yeah. are that you embrace, yeah. like you don't recognize that those are choices, that you could very easily flip it and ask, like Tony Robbins tells people to do, take the worst thing that ever happened to you and ask, How's this the best thing that ever happened to me? Yeah. And, you know, just the, the one that sort of cuts to the chase is sexual abuse, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, you've been sexually abused. Everyone universally will agree that's horrible. And that, that has set you up for failure. Yeah. And I've seen Tony work with people that have been abused in the most horrific and unimaginable ways. And by the end of it, he gets them to see, because you've gone through that, you now want to help other people avoid that so much you were so filled with compassion and empathy that you're actually going to be a beacon of light for these people in a way that you wouldn't have been if you'd had just like a, a marginal, you know, sort of normal beginning. Yep, yep. And you see them sort of realize like, yes, you're right. Like that is the thing that's been driving me and it's what makes me want to do so much good. And he says, then just reframe it and stop seeing it as this bad thing that you have to carry around and start seeing it as while a very difficult, horrible thing that you probably would give away if you could, it's actually given you some amazing things. And to deny the beautiful things that has brought into your life, that is built into your personality, is equally a lie, right? It's a lie to focus just on the bad. Uh, It would be a lie to focus just on the good. But to not be able to see the good is, is really to miss a huge opportunity. Yeah. Do you think that this way of thinking has always been in you and you've just sort of honed in on it as you got older? Or was there some big influence in your life that came in and sort of steered you in this? There was a big influence. I did. I grew up with a fixed mindset. So using Carol Dweck's language, who's a Stanford researcher who wrote the book Mindset. um, It's the single most important book in the English language. I'll just tell you that right now. Yeah, we got it. Dan, make sure we're putting all these in the notes of the... uh of the podcast because everyone's going to want to find them yeah th- th- this one's huge yeah um and carol dweck wrote about there are really two mindsets one is a fixed mindset where you believe that your talent and intelligence are fixed traits you're born with them they yep. are what they are there's no way to change them yep. and then people with the growth mindset who realize that even your 
talent and even your intelligence is malleable and you can change it over time with concentrated effort and practice. Yeah. And if you have a fixed mindset, then which I did, then everything that points out your inadequacies is is just emotionally brutal to deal with yeah. because it it is reinforcing that you are not good enough and you never will be good enough. Yeah. And that hurts, man. That really sucks. Yeah. And so we all want to be the best at something. And so what I found myself doing was aiming for something smaller and smaller to be the best at. Yeah. Uh, because that made me feel good about myself. Yeah. And that's just, it, it's a way of living life, which is actually smart from a brain chemistry perspective, because it actually does make you feel good, right? It's like, safe, yeah. Even if, even if it's something tiny and in your small little corner of the world, but you're the best at that. Mm -hmm. um, hey, you feel good. But it does diminish your possibilities. It limits yeah. artificially the things you can do. So I had to realize that I had set a goal for myself. Growing up, I knew there were two things about me that would be true somehow, some way. Uh, thing number one, I would ultimately have six-pack abs uh -huh. and I would be rich. Yeah. I just knew those two things. And growing up as a chubby kid yeah. who was sort of in a blue-collar family, like that was how, right? Yeah. How's that ever going to happen? Yeah. But I just chose to believe that that was going to come true. And so as I got older and I got out of college, and I was struggling to make ends meet financially. And I found myself arguing um, with these two guys that at, at that time, most successful entrepreneurs I'd ever met. And they hired me as a copywriter. Yep. And they were um, arguing with me about some point that I'd made. And I so valued myself on being smart and right that I was just arguing, arguing. And the irony was there was a voice in my head screaming, you know you're wrong, shut up. Yeah. But I needed to be right because that's what my self-esteem mm -hmm. was built around. And I actually managed to convince them that I was right. Yeah. And then I had a moment of crisis where I realized, oh, shit. I always say that my goal is to get rich. But here I am. I just convinced them of an idea that I know will move me away from being rich. Yeah. So what is it that I actually want? Yeah. Do I want to be right or do I want to be rich? Yeah. And so in that moment, I realized I need self-esteem. I need to feel good about myself. I don't think there's any way to get rid of that. People that kill themselves because they believe they could never feel good about themselves ever again. Yeah. It's not true, but that's what they've come to believe. So I need to feel good about myself. But the only thing that makes me feel good about myself right now is being right. So what do I do about that? So I decided to consciously shift what I rewarded myself for emotionally from mm -hmm. being right and being smart to being the learner and identifying the right answer faster than anybody else. Yeah. So the idea didn't need to be mine anymore. I wouldn't argue anymore for an idea just because it was mine. I would listen for the best idea, the one that was actually gonna move me towards my goals. And then I would put a ton of energy behind it. I was always willing to admit when I was wrong. So I would argue for an idea really hard. And then if somebody said something that made me go, wow, you're right. Yeah. I would switch immediately. Oh my God, you're absolutely right. I know 20 seconds ago I was going so hard on my idea, but I now see how this is gonna be better for us get behind it, be the enthusiasm, be the energy, the passion, carry it all the way across the finish line, all the while celebrating that person because yeah. it was their idea and yeah. I knew how good that would feel for them. And so in making that shift, suddenly I had what Nassim Taleb calls an anti-fragile personality trait. I just started that book. Dude, it's amazing. It's going to yeah. change your life, 100%. I literally just started it. Uh, are you friends with Ryan Holiday? I, I know Ryan very well and I would love to think of him as a friend. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, friends to me are like somebody who have an active role in your life, which Fair. he does not. Fair. Should he ever move to LA, I yep. would have him in my I life in a heartbeat. Him. I think yeah. he's amazing. He sends me books every now and then. That's the last one he sent me, but mm -hmm. I just love him for that. Um, okay, so 
man this is fucking good you got me super inspired i feel like a listener in like idaho right now uh, <laughs> um um one thing that I think, and tell me if you feel the same, is it sounds like you're also talking about the ability to feed your confidence, which is a very healthy and necessary part of human life, and build your confidence without having an ego. I love that. Right? Very well said. Because I think that a lot of times they are looked at as the same, or they're treated as the same, mm. or people never have that moment where they say, ah, shit. I'm fighting to be right, not fight. I'm fighting to be right in the argument, not fighting to actually be right. correct or be the one with the right knowledge. And I think that that's a huge thing too. And it's something that I'm working on. Uh, speaking of Ryan Holiday, his book "Ego Is the Enemy" was mm. was big for me because I never considered myself having an ego until I read that. And I'm like, oh, you do. Like you can right. have an ego without being an asshole. You right. know what I mean? Sure. And I just think that like. A lot of times people get beat down about having an ego and then they start to not build their self-confidence. You know, you see what I'm saying? And then oh, you start yes. to remove yourself too much. And then it's like, okay, well, I don't even know. I don't even have a say in this argument anymore because I don't want to be the asshole. You know right. what I mean? And I think that like, it's a super important element to be able to feed that confidence and be able to achieve and learn. And that's how you feed self-confidence, right? Dude, ego, yes. you try to be the right one in the argument. You try to be the loudest. Or you try to be the brightest or whatever. Um, I just think that's a huge, when you say it, that's what I hear is you found that distinction early. You know what I mean? Yes. And you've got your, what I'll call you're in the advanced class nice. like portion. And that is so important to understand. And that's where people will really start to have the breakthroughs in their life when they get that is that you need pride. Pride mm -hmm. isn't bad. Like you need to feel good about yourself. Confidence. It's not bad. It's awesome. And they've done all kinds of studies. People respond to confidence. Yeah. If you want to be a leader, be confident, yeah. period. So the question is, real confidence comes from competence. Yeah. So to become confident, you have to get good at something. But now the question is, are you getting good at the right thing? Because if the thing you're trying to be good at is being smarter than everybody else, always having the right answer, it's a very fragile position from which to try to gain confidence mm -hmm. so that's why when i switched it to being the learner that i was actually growing in self-pride by being willing to humbly sit at somebody's feet and say i don't know the answer to that yeah. and i remember the first time on camera so originally um the show started uh as inside quest and i brought all my employees in and they all of course thought of me as the confident leader who knows everything and that's why we're here we're yeah. willing to follow you and in the middle of the episode i don't remember who it was with but they said a word i didn't know and i was just like i'm so sorry to interrupt you but can you define that word for me and then that became like a thing yeah. at the company yeah. that whoa like, he really isn't trying to be cool and i'm like guys do you know how much anxiety it gives me to try to be cool i'm not fucking cool like my only thing is i relentlessly learn i just keep going keep going keep yeah. going and when you learn over a long enough timeline, like I've been a voracious reader for almost 25 years. Yeah. So when you look at just the sheer volume of knowledge that these amazing giants out in the world have been willing to share with me, yeah. and that I go into every book saying a simple little prayer, and it goes like this, I am willing to be changed forever and for the better by this book. Yeah. I open myself up to that. And when you're open to being changed by knowledge and then actually go put it to use, on a long enough timeline, your life will be unrecognizable, yeah. but you've got to be willing to be changed by the information. And 
in that willingness to be changed, in my willingness to sit at somebody's feet, totally devoid of ego, not trying to look cool or be cool or teach them something, just literally learn. Yeah. I allow myself to feel good about that. Mm-hmm. And so all my, my source of pride comes from something that you can't attack. So what you'll see when you get through the book, Anti-Fragile, is something that is anti-fragile is not strong, it's not resilient, because something that's strong or resilient is still defined by its breaking point, mm-hmm. just that its breaking point is far away. Mm-hmm. Something that's anti-fragile is something that grows stronger the more it's attacked. Mm-hmm. So you actually want it to be assailed, because the more people go after it, hit it, try to hurt it, whatever, that it gets better. So take, if you're trying to build your self-esteem around being smart, the reason that I'll say that that's fragile is because it's inevitable you'll come across people that are smarter than you. Yeah. It's certainly inevitable that you'll come across people that are smarter than you in a given area. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment then, your self-esteem takes a hit. Yeah. So it's very fragile. And if somebody attacks you and says you're outright stupid and they can prove it, like that you really are undereducated yeah. in an area, you're now you're really screwed, yeah. right? So if you, however, build it on being the learner and I come to you and I say, hey Tom, you're really stupid. My only question is in what way? Yeah. Because I'm a learner. So if you can actually tell me in what way I'm stupid, now I can go learn about that. I can fill a weakness that maybe I had a blind spot to. I actually didn't realize I was undereducated in something. So now, even though you've tried to hurt me, even though you tried to attack me, my sense of pride is built around going, I can listen. I can listen openly to you telling me that I'm stupid to really open myself up, allow you to do, and it will sting, right? That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. If you show me a way in which I'm being stupid. First, it sucks, it really hurts, but then my pride creeps in and goes, but you're willing to to suffer that for a second, to then go really, really listen, and then really go find the answer to that. And so I'm not clapping because I go learn it. I'm clapping because I was willing to take the sting of you pointing out how I'm stupid, and me going, yeah, they're right, absolutely. And even if you meant it with the utmost malice, yeah. I still feel a tremendous sense of pride of knowing most people can't do this. Most people can't suffer the assault. Yeah. It's just too painful yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that becomes critical and, and switching over to an anti-fragile trait is super powerful. Man, you know what's funny? What I really relate to is when you said about doing the show with the company and you pointed out that you didn't know what a word meant. I really felt like one of my flaws that I'm revealing as I go on this um, journey. Because I would say, I mean, realistically in the last probably year i've really made it a point to try to get better you know to just read more and to create systems of of efficiency and to just get better i think that i had a lot of success early and i when you douse some hit reality tv show fame onto that it kind of magnifies what your success Mm -hmm. actually was and i worked really hard but i think i had a chip on my shoulder from um from it being publicly displayed and obviously it's criticized of oh rob did that or this did that or you only had that because of the show so then you double down on your sort of ego as opposed to just whatever working to to prove otherwise and i think that one of my biggest flaws that i realized not that long ago was because i was young you know you put me at let's say 26 um built a really successful company was very fortunate uh and it's almost like then then you put the reality show stuff on it's almost like everyone expected you to know it all so much the same way you say your employees were shocked when you just asked right that I, at that young age i sort of instead chose to play the role of knowing it all right you know and that's an impossible like you're saying it's an impossible game to win because 
you're gonna just every day feel exhausted by trying to pretend you know it all yeah you know and like you go home at night exhausted and it's like why i didn't really do that much it's because you're putting on this front all day that you're mm. some sort of super genius whiz kid that can create any company at any you know what i'm saying right. and um it's really interesting that when you said that i really connected with that part of it because it is it's a game that is absolutely impossible to win and i think the one that i just finished was maybe the subtle art of not giving a fuck where uh did you read that one yeah it's incredible but just just even in that where they talk about pretending to be something that you're not and if right. you walk around all day trying to pretend like you're greater you'll just never unattainable and it's exhausting yeah totally agreed and especially now, I mean, we're living in a very special time. Social media allows you to really be who you are. Yeah. And you will find people for whom that just resonates. Mm -hmm. And they then feel like this is possible, right? Going back to your like whole mission for wanting to show other entrepreneurs that you can be the kid from Ohio. You can not know what you're doing in the beginning and learn mm -hmm. it as you go and all of that, I think for them to to see you now go through this transformation where you start talking openly about, okay, here was the bravado I was using in the beginning. This is why I did it. But I'm realizing now it actually isn't as effective of a strategy as this. And so this is what I'm doing now. Like you become a living blueprint that they feel connected to emotionally because yeah. you're being vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there, but you're not being vulnerable, putting yourself out there like, and just sitting at home. You're still playing to win. Yeah. And when people are playing to win and you're able to say in the same breath, look, I want to build the greatest apparel company ever. And I recognize now that a part of that to get where I need to be is to acknowledge this, to admit this, to change this in my personality. Like that's when it gets intoxicating for yeah. people because that's when it's like, oh, this is a process. This isn't about just knowing and being great. Like watching you yeah. really find your greatness, watching you transcend the sort of bullshit, typical, like what an entrepreneur is supposed to look like yeah. and really sharing with them what you're going through. Dude, you will get the most diehard fans who will ride or die for you and the brand because yeah. what you're going to come to stand for is earned excellence. Yeah. It's so true. It's just so, it's so difficult. And that was my problem is like you come from, you, you have all of this attention on you because of being on a show that isn't related to what even your your passions are, right? right? So it's just sort of like, I, I always call it like empty attention, right? I wasn't famous for anything. It wasn't like, hey man, you're you're so good at baseball. I love right. that song you put out. It was for nothing, you know? It was for being kind of funny, I guess. But right. So then you dump that on some actual success. And, and also what happens is you, you start to become scared to take those risks or scared to admit on social media that you don't have it all figured out because right. you think you're just gonna get ripped to shreds. Right. And people are ripping you to shreds anyway because they wanna break down your success. So you're like, well, the last thing I'm gonna do is show a piece of vulnerability right. here yeah, yeah, or yeah. act like I don't have it all figured out perfectly. And so you go in the wrong way. And that's what like, I've noticed people connecting to this podcast so much deeper than they ever connected on TV, right? I would walk through a mall in Minnesota and get recognized from being on TV, but the the conversation that you have with the guy outside on the sidewalk who listens to the podcast is such a deeper connection because oh, it's yeah. real and, and that's what I'm starting to see. And so now I, speaking of scale, for me personally, it's how do I scale that? Mm -hmm. Like how do I scale, I don't need to be the most famous person in the world, I don't need billions of views on these things. I just want every view that I have to be authentic and to be real and take that as big as I can. Right. 
and that's the uh, sort of revelation, but you just are hitting it directly on the head. Uh, but I think the advice there, in my opinion, is social media makes it easier than ever to be who you are, but it also makes it easier than ever to lie about who you are. And I think that not only a lot of the reason why kids get down and anxiety and stress is because they feel like everyone else everyone else's life is better than theirs because mm -hmm. they see their real life on right. social media and theirs can't add up. And then you get into this chain reaction of fronting as well. And now you start to go above and beyond to prove how great your life is and none of it's real. And the connections aren't real. Right. And you all of a sudden, this thing that you're spending four hours a day on, unfortunately, is all based around lying and fronting. Yep. And I think that taking that, because I always try to put it down to Who's the kid in college? How can he apply this? And even when it comes to the social media stuff, I think that it's it's the authenticity and it's tripling down on the authenticity and letting people in on the journey and letting people learn with you. Mm. Trust me, is so much more valuable than acting like you have it all figured out and and just getting ripped to shreds on a daily basis. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You agree? Definitely. Whew. Okay, so let me ask you one question, just because I like to try to keep some sort of story, and I'm fascinated by how everything got here. When when did you, after that night at the Laugh Factory, did you know comedy was not it? Literally that night. I didn't even get back to the car before I realized that was true. And you were not upset? No. No, not at all. You just accepted it. That's. Yeah, I'm I, telling you, man, that's a gift. That's uh, like, you. Sh I, I wish you could teach it. I wish I was can. A you ready? We'll just do the class. No, no, I know that you can. Right I'm saying here. I would. What I mean is, I wish it was in every high school. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I go ahead. But teach it for the sake. of Yeah. So for you don't need high school. What you need is dramas, podcasts, short story, long. <laughs> That's, That's going to be the need. sound bite. We're putting that straight to uh, Instagram. So and and I, honestly, like part of me believes that. So this is what people really need to understand if they want to do something like that is be goal oriented. Mm -hmm. So I am insanely goal oriented. I know exactly what my goal is. So you start there, right? What is my goal? What am I actually trying to achieve? Like really, really specifically. Yep. So my whole thing is hyper specificity in your goals. So, okay. Once you have hyper specificity in your goals, then you just need the willingness to acknowledge the gap in skills between who you are today and who you would need to be in order to be whatever it is you want to be. Yep. So, um, then you can start acquiring those skills all along the way. Yeah. So if you know, you're whatever, let's say that you're eight years old and you decide that you want to play in the NBA. So we'll just for now, assume you've got sort of, you meet the minimum physical requirements. You're six, two or six, three at a minimum. Great. Um, now what do you need to do? You need to dribble. We can practice that. You mm -hmm. need to shoot. We can practice that. Um, you need to watch an endless amount of footage of other people playing the game. You need to understand the different positions and how they play. You need to understand like the things that you are getting early wins in that you want to keep pouring fuel on that fire. What position does that put you in? Mm -hmm. So that you're not just getting good at basketball. You're getting good at being a center or a point guard or a shooting guard or you know whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? But all that specificity is telling you now exactly what that is. So imagine me, I'm sitting at the Laugh Factory and I'm saying, I want to be a filmmaker. Yep. So the path I think I'm going to do is I'm going to leverage my ability to be funny and uh, that's going to get me a movie or a TV show, which will get me around other filmmakers. Um, I'll get hopefully the opportunity to direct some episodes of my own show. And mm -hmm. then that's how I establish myself as a director, which is really what I want. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. 
that that was the plan. So I go, I see the comedian, and I realize as I'm actually asking myself, can you laugh until you die? And I'm looking at where he's at in his trajectory going, he hasn't even achieved what I want to achieve, and he's light years ahead of me as a comedian. Yeah. So if all of that's true, I just no longer believe that this is the surest path to my success. And that was a phrase I used to repeat all the time, all the time, all the time. After that? Uh, even before that. Can I ask you one quick thing yeah. without derailing you too much? Why didn't your next instinct go to, well, what's another path? to be a filmmaker it was okay so so finish that and then we'll, we'll then we'll continue on the story yeah so i started saying is this the surest path to my success the answer now is no mm -hmm. okay it's not the surest path to my success what is the next surest path to my success and there were a couple that were in competition i was gonna write a screenplay and this is actually what i ended up pursuing mm -hmm. so i'm gonna get a job that allows me to write a screenplay and so i was thinking i can't remember if this actually came first or if it actually reinforced it. Either way, a great example of the method I was pursuing was um, M. Night Shyamalan wanting to direct. He had done some low-budget films before. They were an atrocity. If you've ever seen them, it is unbelievable how bad they are. Yeah. And so no one would let him direct. And so he said, I know if I, because he was a, a very accomplished screenwriter. Uh -huh. And he said, well, if I write a script that is so good that they want to make so badly that I can attach myself as a director, that's how I'm going to get to direct. So that became my mantra. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my attention on writing. It's not going to be comedy now. It's going to be writing. Yep. I need a job that gives me enough free time that I can write, and then I'm going to take that script. It's going to be so good that they'll let me direct. Yep. And so I was working down that path. Then I met these two entrepreneurs who were said, your real problem is that you're coming to the world with your handout. You need to control the resources. You need to get rich. And I was like, I want to get rich anyway. It was one of the two promises that I made to myself. Yeah. These guys were ripped, so they had six-pack abs. I was going to say, how, was your, how were your abs coming along at this Poorly, point? Poorly, okay. horrifically. Okay. I, Just checking it. Here's out. the funny thing. I thought, if even though I was, say, 30% um, body fat, yeah. I thought, well, if I do enough sit-ups, I'll get six-pack abs. I actually couldn't understand why you couldn't see my abs. Really hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Not understanding body fat and all that. Yeah. So that's sort of how far away I started. I wonder I started. if the subconscious uh, uh, search for abs is what planted the the sort of nu nutrition seed in your brain oh well that's they are very tied yeah. it wasn't my quest for abs it was the fact that my uncle ate himself to death Got when it. i was 12 years old Got my it. mom was morbidly obese my sister morbidly obese and i loved them so much um like there's a great line you can't be prejudiced against somebody you love mm -hmm. so i just i have zero prejudice for people that are obese whether it is through their own actions or not to me is completely irrelevant. Yep. The people that I love in my family are morbidly obese and I don't love them any less. So that's what gave me the compulsion to want to end metabolic disease was I love these people. They're unable to make good food choices. No yep. judgment. I want to help them make better food choices. Yep. Anyway, we could derail on that. Okay, really so, but choose. here they are. They yep. were yoked, right? Yep. Six pack abs uh, and rich. And they were telling me, hey, you're coming to the world with your handout. You need to control the resources if you want to control your art come help us out on this company. If you work hard enough, like you could actually become a partner in the company. When we sell it, then you'd have money. We'll do a film. You can do a film with that money. Yeah. And so I was just dumb enough to believe them. I thought it would take me 18 months to get rich. I just had to go in and do business. And what and was that company? It was called Awareness Technologies. So it's a tech company. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we, the 18 months turns into eight and a half years. Jesus. And it was a total nightmare. And I end up being just emotionally distraught and finally, it was actually around year six, I was completely emotionally bankrupt. I had been chasing money for six years, all to try and go back and make film. And because I was getting so much better, I was becoming blinded to the fact that this was a losing path. 
So, so even you got off way off. I should have recognized so much earlier in the process because yeah. for the first, call it three years, getting good at business was giving me something. It was making me more confident. Yeah, it was fair. teaching me incredibly powerful lessons. And I felt like I'm controlling more and more of my life. Like it was unbelievable. The first three years were like an MBA program in the fucking extreme. Yeah. And I thought, dude, I'm going to be a monster producer. Like I'm really going to know how to run a set. I'm going to be able to go on with confidence and lead people, yeah. which was a skill that I didn't realize I lacked. Yeah. So getting into business for the first three years was life-changing, powerful, really was making me more confident. It was during that time I realized I had to switch what I built my ego around. So like all of this stuff was just making me a better person. Yeah. And then somewhere around year three, it just started to take away. Yeah. And it took me like three years to realize this now long ago stopped being fun. Long ago, it stopped being empowering. I've developed crippling anxiety yeah. like and, and and crippling anxiety like mental illness levels of anxiety where like i would be in a business meeting and be totally fucking frozen and all i could think about was how do i lower my heart rate like i'm freaking out yeah and so but then that can i ask you about that yeah you you think that that came from just being in the wrong spot I'm going to say it. humans are a super organism. Yeah. We are so tied into the microbiome and all that. I think it was a downward spiral that started probably with a diet that was so clean that I was stripping my microbiome mm -hmm. and something like 70% of the serotonin in your body is produced in your gut. Okay. So I was disrupting that massively. I became a total germaphobe because I hate being sick, good intentions, bad execution. So I was washing my hands all the time sanitizing my hands to death yeah um so i just wasn't getting the right bacteria into my system and then because i was chubby and i wanted to lose weight i was really eating an insanely clean diet yeah and i was so proud of how disciplined i was with my food but in doing that like you begin to starve uh the because you should have a, a very diverse uh, types of bacteria in your gut. Yeah. And I was just, because I ate the same foods all day, every day, and they were very limited in their own scope, it was like steamed chicken, boiled broccoli. It was like, I, I just, the yeah. microbiome was becoming less and less diverse. So, But it was working for losing weight. It, uh, amazingly, <laughs> yeah. crushed it. I was yeah. shredded. So, And do you think, go ahead, go ahead. So in that, and then on top of that, I'm in business. I'm not very good at it yet. I've only been doing it for three years. I'm constantly encountering people that are smarter, better at business than I am because I have a belief system that if you're afraid of it, you have to do it. Yeah. So I always move towards things that I'm afraid of, which is actually a great strategy, by the way. Yeah. And if I had known how to stop the anxiety from taking hold, I didn't yet fully understand neurons that fire together, wire together, that as I imagined these negative scenarios happening, I was actually creating, just like we talked about earlier, as you imagine the dream life, part of your brain doesn't know it's not real. Yeah. So as I imagined making a fool of myself, speaking up in a business meeting only to look like an asshole, you know, that I'm going to be wrong, that I'm going to fail, and just imagining it, imagining it over and over, like obsessively imagining how things could go wrong yeah. and being in an environment where I actually wasn't that good yet. So yeah. I really was wrong a lot. I really did fall on my face. So the world is saying, see, thank God you thought about how this could go wrong because it did go wrong, yeah. not realize I'm, I'm creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. So now I'm having this brain wiring go unchecked where I'm constantly fantasizing essentially about how 
badly, I'm going to screw up. Yeah. So those neurons are firing. So I would think of business meeting equals failure equals anxiety, right? Yeah. So now just seeing on my calendar that I had a business meeting would trigger anxiety. Yeah. So it's like, I just got to the point where I was like, this is so dumb. Like going back from your goals is anxiety moving me towards my goals? Yes or no. Yeah. And the answer is yes, but only a very small amount of anxiety that forces you to take the meeting seriously, that forces you to do the research and the work beyond that now it's counterproductive yeah and so i had to start learning this was the thing that really supercharged my obsession with the brain i had to start reading about the process of anxiety what's going on at a neurological wiring level yeah. and how do you undo that process yeah. and so and, and never medicine never none of that no I, not at the very beginning no yeah. Yeah. so that was that was something that I experimented with later once I began to really understand like what are beta blockers and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, is that something that you can like use to slow down depression the process? Medicine. No, no, no. I, ne I never wanted to be on something that you took every day. Yep. Ever. That's just something I'm big on, but I'm not very educated on, which is like I'm I know I'm really against it and I know that there's the right ways to handle it. And I know that a shit ton of people think that they have really bad anxiety and depression. Yeah. And even some that actually don't, right? I think being depressed is like kind of a cool new thing. And I think that there's, I just think with young people, it's like, oh, I'm depressed. That's why, right. you know, and it's like, shut up. And like, do here, do these things, then be more right. healthy or, or practice these things. Not like, oh, I need medicine and I'm just alone. And I'm, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's something that I would like to one day be more educated on. I don't know much about, but that's, that's why I asked. I just am a big fan of the right way to go about it, you know? And I yeah, think and that mental health is like any other health and like people don't think about it that way and they don't think about the same way when you get older you should I mean, you should do it your whole life but when you get older you should start working out even if it's going for a jog every day or even if it's whatever same with meditating same with doing these just little exercises that help so much but it's just not treated that way you totally. know what i mean you are so on the money i really hope people are listening to you with that because if you haven't um become like an expert level meditator yeah if you haven't learned about neuroanatomy, if you haven't done a, an aggressive multi-time-a-day gratitude practice for yep. a year, two years, before you start seeking medical interventions, yep. like you're not even trying. Yep. So that's like, oh, I could go to the gym, but instead I'm going to get liposuction. It's yep. like, uh, that's a bad strategy. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, just the the sheer volume of things that you should try before you do that, and that will have, by the way, almost certainly a more profound effect, not less. So yeah. exercise is exercise and diet are going to have way bigger impact on your anxiety than anything else. So yeah, it's just a, it's just what gets me is, and I'm once again, I'm only saying it because I'm in the process. It's all new to me. It's new that I'm accepting it. It's new that I'm trying to get good at it. It's new that it's all new, but. I think that when you say exercise and diet, it's looked at one way. When you say meditation and gratitude practices, it's looked at as like, oh, here we go with the weird mental stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And like, I, that's I refused just... to meditate for a decade because it yeah. sounded feminine to me. Yeah. And, and gratitude. Like, and when it. I I remember when I, I mean, a lot of people with Tony Robbins and with all this stuff, it's just looked at as like, ah, that's yeah. weirdo stuff. Here we stuff. go. Crystals and, and crazy like, talk. Man. And I think that we are, I think a lot of people know this or believe this. We're on the the verge. I think 10 years from now, it will be completely just as accepted as an Equinox or an LA Fitness. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I think that um, it's still, we're still on the tail end of it just being weird. 
for me, I needed an in mm -hmm. to physiology. So here's what got me thinking about meditation. So I learned about it from a, a Navy SEAL named Mark Devine. So first of all, it was a SEAL. Mm -hmm. So that made me think, okay, maybe tough guys can do this mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And um, he said, no, the, the whole point is to get out of the flight or fight response. Yep. And so then I started researching, okay, what is that, right? It's the thing called the sympathetic nervous system. So you have yeah. two systems in your body, the sympathetic nervous system, known as fight or flight, yeah. and the parasympathetic nervous system, known as rest and digest. Okay. So what you're doing with meditation is taking conscious control of what is usually a subconscious process. Yeah. Now, when you can do that, that's already incredibly powerful. So meditation for me is practicing how rapidly I can go from fight or flight to rest and digest. Yep. And that is incredibly useful because then when you go into something that's provoking your anxiety, all of a sudden you've practiced this, you know. So for me, it's breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth. I do a hold on the inhale and a hold on the exhale. You let me do that even for five or 10 cycles and just my heart rate starts slowing, my anxiety starts coming down. It is so funny how effective simple and easy it is yeah like when i talk to people about meditation they think that like i'm there doing a guided meditation i'm feeling my feet and i'm imagining like a location oh, yeah, and you have some dude weird i all on. i do yeah i sit on a couch i put on headphones and i listen to the calm app which that's, plays yeah. the sounds of the ocean that's what i've been it's using. not a guy talking to me yeah it's just the sounds of the ocean yeah and i breathe yeah and that's it and how it long is every day? so effective how long? How long like, do you meditate? Um, meditating, I do until it starts to be uncomfortable. So it's usually about 20 minutes because yep. I like to sit cross-legged. Yep. Um, and somewhere around there, my legs will start to fall asleep. Yeah. And so because of that, I stop. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But that's plenty of time to put you in an alpha wave state, which is if anybody's like me and likes to take long, hot showers. Yep. Like The reason long, hot showers are so um, nice and that you often have something like 72% of people say, that they get some of their best ideas in the shower. Yeah. The reason is you go into an alpha wave state. It's just a particular brainwave pattern um, that your brain goes into where it's calm and creative. Yeah. And um, so that's what meditation does for me. Incredible. Um, okay, so you know that you start to realize this whole job thing, the tech company thing that you're on is not it for you. You're having panic attacks. You're miserable. What do you do? So I go in and quit. And at that point, I had earned 10% of the company through sweat equity. So I'm literally handing back the company at one point was worth like $25 million. So what's that, like $2.5 million or something? Uh, so I'm handing back millions of dollars and saying, look, if I don't cross the finish line, I shouldn't get anything for this, but I cannot continue. I am so deeply and profoundly unhappy. Yeah. And this is when I'm realizing that brain chemistry is the name of the game. I wanna do something that makes me feel alive and this does not make me feel alive. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna go back to writing. I'm just gonna take that direct approach. Did you have any money in the bank? Um, a little bit. A Enough. little bit, not $2.5 million. Oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> okay. No, 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 I had, uh, let's call it, maybe we had three months of savings at yeah, that yeah. point. Yeah. So somewhere between three to six months of savings and um, I was just like, I can't do it. And so we were going to move somewhere uh, that was cheaper. Yep. So we were going to arbitrage our money yep. and go to like a small town in Greece. My wife is Greek, so it was perfect. You were already go married there. at the time? or Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay keep going. So going to move to Greece, learn to speak Greek, write in my spare time, uh, and then leverage how much more inexpensive things were there and live somewhere really cheap, but just in a beautiful area. So yep. my whole thing is, man, if you're broke, 
find the worst place in the nicest area. Yeah. And so that's what we were going to do. Find a little dump somewhere on a coastal town in Greece so that you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, you just can't beat yeah. that. The nicest place in the worst area. Or, sorry. Exactly. Nicest place in the worst area. Well, the the right? worst apartment in the nicest area. Oh, you oh, never oh, want to like be in the, the prettiest most, area. Yeah. So like, imagine uh, beautiful okay. beach overlooking the ocean, but it's a rundown apartment. I was thinking like the worst place in Beverly Hills. Um, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. So you want a dumpy little apartment in an amazing place. Okay. What you don't want is a nice house or apartment in Compton. Yeah. yeah right. Okay, so okay. you find that okay. sleepy little sea town yep. that's just stunningly beautiful. Yes. And then you get a, a cheap little apartment yes. so that we could really stretch our money out. And that was the plan. Told them that they were stunned. I'm driving home telling my wife, all right, we're on our way. It's done. I quit. And they call me and they're like, come out to dinner and go out to dinner with them. And they're like, look, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. And that's what I need. I needed something other than the money to yeah. connect with. So allowing me to reconnect to the brotherhood and why, because I mean, by this point, I've been working with them for six years. So they're like my brothers, my family. So I was like, okay, that makes me feel good about our relationship again. But I'm like, if you want to keep working with me, we've got to sell this company. We've got to do something that adds value. It's got to be entirely passion-based. We have to build it in a different way where we can really be ourselves yeah. because I, I just feel like I'm super invisible. I'm doing like fear-based marketing tactics because this is like security software. So it's like you have to be afraid that your employees are stealing from you to want our software. It's just miserable. Yeah. So it's got to be something where it's really personality driven, where it's a passion play and value creation. And they're like, you know what? We actually feel exactly the same. So for three very different reasons, we decided to start Quest Nutrition. For yep. me, it was about saving my mom and my sister, morbidly obese. I didn't want to lose them. Yep. Um, and so we started it. and we, It was all social media driven. And this is before anybody was doing social media. We started thinking about the company back in 2009. Yep. Everybody at that point was saying, Facebook is just a distraction. How's yep. it ever going to be good for companies? These guys are never going to be able to monetize. And we just thought, Social media is a megaphone. Yeah. That's it. Like if you're really out there working hard for your customers, you're going to give them a reason to say something good about you. And now they have a megaphone that lets them speak to a global audience within yeah. minutes of an interaction with your company. Yeah. So we just could see this is about community, man. Like, and if we take care of this community and evangelize them and do great things for them, really want stuff for them, celebrate their transformations, like this could be done a different way. And so with virtually no money on marketing or advertising, we blew up. Yeah. Because going back to what does your brand represent, our brand represented transformation. It represented becoming the best version of yourself. What was the first product? Like a bar? We, yeah, we launched two bars at the same time. One was um, Peanut Butter Crunch, and the other was Peanut Butter Supreme, excuse me, nice. and Vanilla Almond Crunch. Got Those it. Those were and, our two first flavors. And I guess my question that like, my question is, first, where did you, uh, what was the distribution on it? Where was it sold in the very beginning, first yeah. sh shipment? We had a very tough decision to make, and this was one of those times where everybody thought I was crazy. The entire team thought I was a fool. Yeah. And I said, guys, we need to be online first. Don't try to go to stores first. Really? Yeah, it, and it was probably one of the biggest arguments we'd ever had in the company. And what I could see was that if we can build a community, we have leverage. Yeah. And without a community going to a store you have no leverage yeah and the stores view themselves as king makers and so their whole thing is well we're gonna take the lion's share of the profits it's gonna be on our terms because once we put you on the shelf we'll turn you into a brand right now you're nothing yeah and so i said well if we start online 
first, now we can go direct to the consumer. The brand can mean something and we'll create demand for the product, which yeah. is what we ended up doing and ended up being the smartest decision we'd ever made because we could negotiate with power. Yeah. And that's really informed everything that I'm doing at Impact Theory because at Impact Theory, we're trying to build the next Disney studios. Yeah. And how do you beat Disney? You don't do it by playing their game. You've got to play a fundamentally different game. So what we're going to be doing is building community first, which is why we're doing all the social content to build the community, people who think like we think, that feeds into the ethos of the brand, You know what the brand stands for, that self-empowerment. Um, and then that, will give us the leverage on the properties to be able to go negotiate a distribution deal where we can maintain some of the rights to merchandising, which as you know, yeah. is where all the money is. Yeah. So the money isn't in creating the film or the TV show or the comic book, the money is in selling the bed sheets, the lampshades, yep. the you know, gear shift knob, the necklace, the socks. Yeah. Like that's the money. 100%. So that's uh, the game. So you, you were selling it by the box online? Like you buy a box you of bars? You could buy a single bar, really? you could buy a box, absolutely. And then I guess my another my other question is that I'm just genuinely curious about is like so you're starting right you get all this stuff figured out not to mention all the education that goes into just manufacturing the thing yeah, and the recipe and I'm sure that was insane, um, but how do you translate the message of what you stand for and how much it means to you via social media starting on day one when you just have a warehouse full of bars yeah like what was your messaging that you think resonated so well with the audience well the thing that resonated is what um, we were doing mirror marketing so okay. we wanted them not to see us but to see themselves so we were celebrating them by showing the recipes that they would send in or and by saying this was done by user so-and-so yeah um, and following them on their pages and liking them and building relationships with influencers who we knew like, hey, you wanna help your clients in the fitness industry, use our bar and we'll send them to you for free and we don't ask that you say anything in particular, just talk. So if you love it, say you love it. If you hate it, say you hate it. Yeah. And so in doing that, people just started talking, 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 and then the product was actually real. Yeah. So it was delivering great results. And then people would send in saying, oh my God, I lost 100 pounds using you guys. And then we would feature that and say, yeah. how, how amazing is this? And so that's what we're doing. But if I were to do it again today, the world has changed. Yep. And I would do it by stepping out front. I would do it by doing the show Inside Quest, which I started doing, but not, yep. I mean, I didn't start that until we'd been in business for over five years. Yep. So um, I would start from day one, which is exactly what we did at Impact Theory. At Impact Theory, we're actually growing faster than we grew at Quest from a community standpoint, yep. way faster. Um, in six months, we've more than tenfolded our following. It's just been absolute insanity. Yeah. Um, and we do that by literally planting a flag, saying this is what we stand for, putting out content that's value-add to their life. They don't have to care about us or our brand. It just actually delivers value to their life. And we tell them what we stand for. So yeah. that right from the jump, Impact Theory as a brand stands for something. Yeah. And it's very clear what it stands for. And they get to see me live the brand. I mean, literally... I can't tell you how many times I've thought about you jumping out of that window and <laughs> ask, like, what is my version of ah, that, that's right? That's fucking incredible, man. Just because you don't think, I mean, I know it was like, you know, uh, I know it's a show on MTV, but like, you just don't think that like you're sticking anywhere in someone's head who's creating a billion dollar brand and right. creating this massive studio. And you know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. when you think about it, you think about like, oh, I was inspiring 16 year olds. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? To like, I don't know sure. what the hell they were doing. But um, it's cool. That's really cool.
Now, when the message is real, like, sure, you'll hit a lot of people that you're like, I don't know what the hell they're doing with this. Yeah. But you're going to hit that small number of people that know how to put it to use. Yeah, it's true. And, um, yeah, and and watching you build your following. We used to talk about you in marketing meetings, bro. That's crazy, Come man. on now. That's crazy. Because you were so on brand. Yeah. It was off-brand for us, right? Yeah. The $25,000 in a briefcase, off-brand for us. The um, hot girls in bikinis and all that stuff. It was totally off-brand for us. Yeah. But you knew your brand yeah and it was like watch what he's doing like he knows who he is he knows what this brand is about and he paints that picture so well yeah and so you were just one of those really powerful examples of like brand strategy like really stopping and thinking about every image you put out needs to tell people who you are who your brand is what you stand for yeah and you just have always been very, very consistent with that. That's really cool, man. Because it's another one of those things that like I know it's it's insanely important to me and it's something that I lose many nights of sleep over, but you almost always feel like you're not quite doing it enough. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. always feel like it's just the nature of the beast, right? And you naturally just kind of feel like oh, people just aren't connecting the way that I think they could. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not this whole thing was off and that was just not quite right. And even like how I just explained to you the twenty five thousand dollar giveaway. I loved it. And to be honest, I think at the time, the fact that it was so just like, go for it and wherever the money goes is where it goes and obnoxious with the suitcase in the hand. Uh, I think that was on for the time. I just think now it's like, okay, how do you evolve? How do you make that connect even right. more? You know, what do you do now? Also, to your point, the same way you said that if you did it again today, you would step out front. Um, what's funny with our brand is I feel like when I started Young and Reckless, I wanted to hide because I wanted the brand to be taken seriously yeah. and I did not want it to be my merch and an MTV thing. And I knew how terribly risky that was. Mm. And it's funny because I felt like I spent so many years working so hard to do real work and do marketing with other people and do all these things because that was the right thing to do. And I feel like again, now with the new landscape, I need to be out front more. Could not agree more. And it's like, it's this weird thing where like I've spent so many years trying to hide and trying to like, no, 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 like let it be young and reckless. And right. if you look deep enough, you know, oh, that was the guy from that thing who started it or oh, it's drama who started it. But right. now it's like a brand, especially in our space, almost has no shot without a kid being able to connect with the actual person or, you know what I'm saying? Like I agree with a fiery intensity you can't imagine. And maybe this will evolve away too. Yeah. And that five years from now, I like wonder. being out front will be ridiculous. But right now, today, if you're trying to build something, you, somebody from your company has to step out front. Yeah. Companies cannot any longer be a nameless, faceless organization. It has to be real people that they can look in the eye that's putting out content. Because when you speak, you cannot help but reveal yourself. Yeah. So that they can see, who are you? Like, what do you stand for? What yeah. does it mean? Because Gen Z, more than anybody else, dude, they want to know what you're doing with the money that they give yeah. you, both in your company and in your personal life, mm -hmm. right? And so people that want to live the dream, like, because I can tell right now just what little I know about you, yeah. where you fit in in this universe, like you're painting lifestyle, it's young, it's reckless, very well named, yeah. but at the same time, you're not a dick, you don't do a douchey, like there's just, and also you get some pretty, you get very interesting influencers to wear your stuff. Yeah. People for whom people respect artistically or whatever, it's not just um, like, grab ass if yeah. that makes a sense yep. isn't what you guys promote yeah there's something more to it yeah and especially you because there's like um there's a real human being you can't spend two seconds with you without realizing that you're not just a front playing a role yeah yeah, yeah. you're 
you're the guy that we actually got to watch go from the background yep. of Fantasy Factory to actually learning entrepreneurship to um, what you were doing with the DJ stuff to yeah. really then creating a brand to talking openly about the things you don't think you did well that you're doing better now. Like there's a, a real human being that people are gonna gravitate towards. Yeah. So it's like for somebody like me, um, and, and sadly I'm a little older than your targeted demographic, <laughs> yeah. but even, even for me it resonates in the sense that if I were like still back in club culture, yeah. it's the way I would be in club culture where yeah. It wouldn't be weird to have a thoughtful conversation at the same time that you're partying. You know 100%. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting, man. And thank you for all that feedback. I, I, um, it's it's just interesting how it shifts and how I've tried so hard to take my because when the TV stuff started, I didn't want to be famous. I never had a goal of being famous, right? So naturally, it was my instinct: start a company, have a real. Think a real career and right. and back out of the spotlight. But like you're saying, now it's impossible not to. And I also think the reason for that is brands used to be the megaphone, right? right? They used to tell you who wore what, what was cool, what was whatever, right? The same way television used to be that and movies used to be that. Now, because you can connect to the person directly, you don't even need that brand to tell you anymore, right? right? So it obviously works still on the level. And I think people like, you know, Adidas is doing an incredible job at, marketing and doing what they're doing and there is still room for these mega brands to have a voice but i just think anywhere below that just repeating what you're saying if you don't have a human being people don't want to listen to a brand anymore mm -hmm. the same way they don't want their they don't want direct tv to tell them what to watch anymore right. they can make up their mind on their own and they're so used to connecting to human beings it's like why connect to this small brand what's it really going to add value to my life you right. know Anyway, so, okay, so you started Quest when? What we year? We launched officially in 2010. And it just exploded. It's crazy. And all that initial marketing and everything and success was just connecting with people legitimately on social media. Connecting with people legitimately on social media and understanding influencer strategy. Yep. Like, we got that. And you think you guys, you guys were obviously one of the first there doing that right no question yep whereas now like it's so crowded it's a shit show yeah right? yes what i love so i'd much prefer to play where nobody else is playing that's always better yeah but there's such a powerful upside to when it's crowded because inevitably people begin to optimize once you optimize mm -hmm. you then the opportunity is doing the unscalable yeah. so going to people like with real like i know you i see you dear influencer i know mm -hmm. what you're about i know the value you bring to your community here's how i think we can help and when you show a level like of real understanding of their brand yeah. like that's when it's like whoa like this guy really like he gets me gets mm -hmm. what we're trying to do mm -hmm. and so you can build real partnerships like that um, and, and that's really exciting. I just interviewed a guy named Noah Galloway on Impact Theory. You know Noah. I know the name. He's double amputee, former yeah. sergeant in the military, placed third on Dancing with the Stars a couple of years ago. And um, he said he's now working with brands that he turns down big money sometimes yeah. to be with his family because his family is his number one priority. And he said, at first I thought that was going to hurt me. Yeah. And then I realized the other brands who think like I think, who 
really, truly are family first brands or whatever it is that they represent, they now see through my actions, not just my words, who I am. Yeah. And they gain a lot of confidence to work with me because they know that I'm not going to go do something stupid that then is going to yeah. make the relationship between us look bad. Yeah. And I thought, that's exactly right. Like, so a brand going to him and saying like, look, no, I, I know there are a lot of people competing for your attention, but let me tell you what we like. We like that you prioritize family and we understand that that means at some point you'll deprioritize us yeah. and we're okay. And we're going to ride through those moments. We're going to come out the other side and there's going to be times where we're getting more of the value. There's going to be times where you're getting more of the value and we're okay with that yep. because we actually believe what you believe now normally what happens when it's crowded it's commoditized to the dollar and you're going to get influencers who are like optimizing for the money that they make on the contract and i'll sit and laugh right yeah. because i'm the guy that like let's say you offered me um a fifty thousand dollar speaking fee and yep. i say i actually don't want the money yep. here's what i want because you're doing something that i'm super amped up about and i'd much rather you commit that money to um marketing something that we do together over here right yep. then you know shit, this guy's actually about that so then it starts to get really interesting and you're going to get these powerhouse connections between people who aren't saying give me the upfront money they're saying i want to be in a partnership yeah. I, I want to do something together because we believe the same things so in any highly um optimized world you become the unoptimized guy yeah. you come in and say this is about your mission this is about who you are as a human being this is about legacy this yeah. is about putting something out into the universe that matters then and look i'm gonna do it in a business savvy way right so let's make a lot of money together of course you know i mean that that's huge to me i am i may be the only person like in this field who really believes in doing good and all that but i'm not conflicted about money in yeah. the slightest yeah like i want to make an astronomical amount of money yep. i just make one demand of myself that i do it in service of other people yeah the only thing i sell is value so if people are telling me they would rather have the thing that i've created than that amount of money then i know i've won yeah so that's really the the yeah. game that if people can play even in a crowded space you can crush yeah you're fucking so solid on it man because i also i'm such i hate when people you can feel when people start to get conflicted about making a lot of money or when they feel like they owe an explanation right or they feel like you know obviously all the people that do charity that you can tell is to say they did charity you know what i'm saying and like oh, yeah. i just feel like it's such a common thing and i love your like unapologetic you just have it figured out like you just have a very clear brain um did you expect the success yes in no uncertain terms at the speed no that was a shock a total shock and yeah i mean that anybody that goes like really think about this for a second if you don't expect the success don't go into agreed it. that's so scary agreed like sometimes people ask me did you ever think it would turn to this and it's like you don't want to be an asshole but the answer right. is yes of course i you have to otherwise why would i have done it like yeah it's fucking crazy and when i was right. going when i was 14 i might not have been able to picture this but like yes i i knew it was gonna work right because <laughs> if you don't right and i think that's actually the only honest answer for somebody that succeeded they're trying to be humble to yeah. say no i really I know this but i've been in that so position crazy. when like uncle you know steve is like did you ever think christopher right. and you're like nope never could have guessed in my wildest dreams you know because yeah. you can't you're at the family dinner and you don't want to be like sure did steve. i i'm the sure did guy. yeah i like that though you just I'm inspired like, me i'm gonna change the way me, I answer let me tell now. you 100 i knew it'd be successful because i knew i wouldn't stop until it became successful if you're asking me 
was I the person that I needed to be for it to become that successful when we started? The answer is no. Yeah. But I was committed to getting better every step of the way. I knew nothing about manufacturing when we started. So I had to learn all of that. And I came in with humility and all that. But I went into it believing it was going to be successful. Yeah. That's why I went into it. That's why I put so much at risk to make it happen. I didn't put my house on the line thinking, well, it's probably going to fail. It's like you put your house on the line knowing that I bet on me. Yeah. Like I bet not that I'm already good enough. I, I never bet on that. Mm -hmm. But I always bet on my willingness and ability to figure it out. Yeah. And then it at the speed, it was just like, holy cow, we yeah, are that was off a total to the surprise. races. That was a, a surprise because I don't think you can manufacture that level of speed. Yeah. That level of speed becomes a, a collision of forces beyond your control. Yeah. So the timing of the market, right? Which we didn't do it for the timing of the market. Yeah. Um, just enough people were waking up that protein bars were junk that that certainly wasn't anything anybody was really talking about at the time that we came along. If social media hadn't come along and yeah. we had to do Google CPC advertising, we would have grown infinitely slower. Yeah. But this was the rise of social media right at that moment. If we were even two years later and then everybody understood social media, nobody understood it when we started. And maybe we get some credit for recognizing it before other people, but we get zero credit for the fact that other people didn't recognize yeah. it, right? Yeah. So it's like, it was just, everything happening at the right point. Like even to the fact, how different would our timeline have been if I hadn't gotten so emotionally distressed that I quit? And I was embarrassed about quitting. For a long time, I felt so guilty yeah. that I was weak and I quit. And was only looking back that, wait a second, if I hadn't done that, yeah. we'd still be at the fucking technology company. Yeah. So it's like, at the time, like all the things that led up to it being such explosive growth the honest answer is the explosiveness was timing. Yeah. So it's likewise, it would be false humility for me to say that I didn't see it coming. And it would be yeah. hubris yep. to think, oh yeah, of course I knew it would grow that fast. Yeah, you're dead on. God damn it, you're dead on. Everyone answers the other way. Everybody says, no, I, I could have never guessed. And then they say, did you know it was going to grow that fast? Well, yeah. Like I knew exactly. <laughs> That's one thing I hate about a lot of books and a lot of talks and a lot of stuff that people also read is everyone's a genius in hindsight yeah. right everyone knew exactly what they were doing exactly at the time when you look back on it right you don't take into consideration the amount of weird x factors that happen but without just blindly taking the shot at it you have nothing right um what is are you still actively there now no not a quest okay did you sell it what happened so we had taken an investment about a year before I left uh -huh. that was a very small piece of the company, but a very large number of dollars. Yep. Um, and it was all diversification for the three founders. We were equal owners. Yep. Um, so we all took a, a just startling amount of money yep. um, personally. So I knew I never had to work again. Yep. Um, and then it just came to a point where my partners and I didn't see eye to eye anymore on how to move the company forward. And um, I had my other passion, which was locked and loaded. I'd already built the studio inside the company. Yeah. Um, so I said, look, just let me spin that out and do a standalone yeah, entity and, and start you know, focusing totally on that. And that's what we did. Dream come true. So they're still there. They're still there and I still have ownership. Um, so who knows no. what the future holds. I'm gonna be uh, just a little bit of a kid here on this one, but like, uh, was there a moment when like you got a billion dollar valuation that you were like, holy shit. <laughs> For sure. You know, like, I'm sorry to ask kind of the no, immature man. business question, Not but like, all. I may never have that day. And like, I just want to know, uh, because that's just, yeah. that's so incredible. That was nuts. But I'll be honest with you. 
it pales in comparison to the day where you hit refresh on your bank account, refresh, 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 and all of a sudden you're fucking rich. Son of a bitch. You actually hit the refresh button? The refresh button. It was like, all right, the wire's gone through. Like, check your account. And so Uh. you're like, refresh, refresh, refresh. Oh, like that was, that was the moment. So even though it wasn't a billion dollars, because the valuation, people often get confused yeah, by this yeah, yeah. and people refer to me as a billionaire first of all there's three of us you already have I would to just divide take that, off the though. top i'd be mean, like yeah, like yeah 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 <laughs> a billion dollar man um and but the the money that hit my account was insanity yeah. that was when it was like i can go buy shit right when it's on paper it's not real so you can have a crate like my valuation on paper is bonkers yeah but what i think about is the amount in my bank account. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just like spend that. Yeah, it's just the B word. And, and did the billion dollar valuation come from because that's what they bought in? Yeah, they okay. had to, like, they actually gave us money at that valuation. So it so was this, considered worth a billion the moment they said more we More than agree. a billion, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. I like it. So it was considered more than, uh, worth more than a billion as soon as they agreed to Correct. do the deal. Yeah, once we took the money at that valuation, yeah. then it's like, it's real, right? So this isn't like Tom going, hey, I bet the company's roughly, no, this is yeah. straight, we took money at that valuation. Oh, man. And um, can I ask you, you can just tell me no at any point, but I guess what I want to know is like, was the amount of cash that you had prior to the refresh moment, mm shockingly different than the dollar amount after the refresh moment shockingly like you went from sort of normal dude to like holy fuck yes overnight ah that's the moment that everyone dreams of i and and this just while we're on it and i don't normally talk about this stuff but i am like you yeah so when i was a kid younger i should say um i would drive in the Hollywood Hills through Bel Air up onto Mulholland Same. looking at the big mansions Same. to motivate myself, right? Yep. Driving in a beat up car that was like barely making it, that yeah. would break down all the time. And knowing everyone is looking at me, like, what is this guy doing in the neighborhood? Is he like casing the joint? Yeah. There's no way a guy in that car belongs yeah, in Yeah, like a Honda Civic shouldn't be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so my wife and I used to do it together and we'd drive around like dreaming one day, one day, one day. So I went from living i had a house finally Mm -hmm. so this wasn't you know i'd gotten to the point where through business i was making money but it was like you know just nice six figures yep and so we had a house and in sort of a dodgy neighborhood like literally half a mile from inglewood yeah and but happy that we had a house to mansion in beverly hills one refresh later so i mean it's just like crazy I just thank God because like there's not a lot of those moments like that are, that actually really happen, right? You know what I mean? Like those are the moments that everyone dreams of. That and that I think that when young people like imagine what it's like to get rich, they picture that happening. Yeah. And like it doesn't happen like that very often. Very true. So the fact that like you actually had that moment is just makes me so happy. And by the way, it's as good as you think it's going to be. It is. Huh? But here's the fast. I'm going thing, tonight to drive thing about money. LA. Do it. It's so fucking effective. And there are. So do you know who Michael Strahan is? Yep. All right, so Michael Strahan and I know each other. He's a good dude, by the way. Yep. And we're both huge fans of architecture. He has a friend who's probably the premier high-end home builder, certainly in America, maybe in the world. Yep. And he builds like $250 million houses. Yep. So Michael was like, hey, I'm going to be going to check it out. You should come with me. So go walk this $250 million house. This is pre, pre-sale. No, no, no. I already, uh, I already live in a Beverly Hills okay, mansion okay. at this point, like yep. the whole fucking nine. Yep. And, but walk into 
this house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look at Michael and I go, there's levels to this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden my mansion does not seem so cool anymore. So it is still inspiring to me to look at that. And Michael and I were talking and I was like, there's two types of people that see something that's just so far outside of what they can afford. Like I cannot afford that house. Yeah. No fucking way. Yeah. And there's two types of people. Type one gets angry and type two gets inspired. Yeah. I'm type two. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm going home right now. Mike and I, we're both like, I'm going home right now to get back to work. Like, I got shit to do, like, yeah. to grind it out. It's so inspiring to me to see the things that are as of yet out of my reach and to believe that I can one day bring them within my reach. Like, yeah. that's fun. That's inspiring. So, yeah, man, like, I still do that drive around and really look at, like, the things that are, like, way outside my... Yeah. Now you got to go to, what, Beverly Park? Or, like, where do you even go now? Yeah, well, Beverly Park's legit. So yeah. the fact that you already know Beverly Park, I didn't even know Beverly Park back oh, in the day yeah. when I was driving around. So yeah. you're already like My a dream step ahead of where I was. On. Yeah, I'm I'm cruising the neighborhood. Good choice. Yeah. The guy that builds these houses, where does he live? Beverly Park. Yeah. Of course. Of course. So went to his house, Bugatti chilling in the front yard. Yeah. Just nuts. Yep. So Beverly Park would be sick. There's some other little enclaves of places that are up in the hills that overlook stuff that are just bonkers. Yeah. There's always another level. Um, and I love that. Let me ask you this. This is a big question that uh that I debate with a lot. Uh, can a type two, the angry yeah. person, become a type one? Oh, of or course. are you cursed for life? No, no. There's no curses for life. Okay, so 100%. if um, how? It's kind of the same as the previous, just by. Yeah, I mean, this is about understanding neuroanatomy and the way that it works. So you can rewire your brain at any time to do virtually anything. So think of a kid learning music. You're not born with that ability. You practice and you get better and you can actually look and see through scans the changing of the neuroanatomy, the areas of the brain that handle music get bigger, thicker, better connections. So it's a process called myelination. And what happens is as you do something, practice something, Um, the brain begins to realize, okay, these neurons are firing together a lot. So to increase the speed with which the firing pattern happens, let's wrap these connection points Mm -hmm. in myelin, which is a fatty tissue. And so it literally goes in and builds a super highway of connectivity between those regions of the brain um, so that they can communicate more efficiently. And that is the process of getting better. Mm -hmm. That's why people who get better do it with less effort. They can do it faster. Um, because the the communication in the brain is literally faster and you are you saying that you can also and if not then how how do you change your attitude let's just say you're the kid who is just about to type a shitty comment below this youtube video like you have it written and it's like you're only shut up you douchebag you're only rich because blah blah right yeah and you say ah shit and you start hitting delete yeah yeah can you change that absolutely so everything boils down to your identity. Your identity drives your behavior, yep. period. Mm-hmm. So if you write hateful comments like that, it's because that's who you are, right? You're the guy that's gonna knock people down a peg. Man, I'm gonna show these guys what it's about. Now, once you realize that you're just a crab in a bucket, mm-hmm. if you put a single, this is actually true, you put a single crab in a bucket, it'll crawl out. Mm-hmm. You put four crabs in a bucket, none of them can get out. Because as soon as one starts to make progress, the other crabs pull them down. Mm-hmm. So. If that's you, if you're a crab in a bucket, like, okay, well, now you're going to be stuck in the bucket forever. Mm -hmm. But if you realize that you can help other people and that that stuff comes back to help you and that the more you invest in other people, the more likely they are to invest in you. And that's just human nature. We want to help those that help us. Like suddenly you can get to a virtuous cycle. Your network is your net worth, Mm -hmm. right? So getting to know good people, do good things for them, wanting to see them win, making people feel good. Like one fundamental truth of the human condition. If people feel better about themselves mm-hmm. when they're around you, 
they're going to want to be around you. Mm-hmm. So go make some high-powered motherfuckers feel really good about themselves when yeah. they're around you, and they will elevate you, yeah. period. Simple as, just the way that it is. So I always start by saying, I'm the type of person that. So if I were a crab-in-a-bucket type person and I write negative comments and I wake up to the realization that that's not good, I say, I'm the type of person that elevates other people. I'm the type of person that helps other people shine. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to go and I see, let's say I see... Uh, one of those crazy Tom Bilyeu impact theory videos. And I'm like, dude, 50% of what this guy says is total bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like you can't become anything that you want. But you know, I'm actually impressed. He really does seem like he's trying to help people. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's right. I'm the type of person that helps other people shine. So I'm gonna write my comment and I'm gonna say, hey Tom, half the stuff that you say, like I struggle to be on the same page with you, but dude, I so respect that you actually want to help people. Mm-hmm. And so even though like there we don't necessarily agree on all the fine points, I wanted to really take a second to acknowledge what you're doing for this community and just thank you. Yep. Boom, right? Yep. You didn't lie and say, "Dude, I'm just into everything you do and you're amazing." Yeah. You said like, "Here's what I really value you for." Yeah. And by you focusing on the thing that you value, it changes your neurochemistry because now you're focusing on something that you're grateful for instead of something that pisses you off. Because when you get pissed, this this is one of those advanced class things people yeah. need to really understand. Yeah. If your waiter comes and like you ask for your burger to be medium and your burger's well done, mm-hmm. you can be like, hey, come on, man. Like I, I explained to you that I asked for a medium and it's well done and I'm in a huge rush. And like when the burn marks get on there, it's not that I'm trying to be a dick, dude. There's carcinogens in the burn. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man. Like this is a Four Seasons hotel. I just, I expect better than this. Yeah. Your brain goes, oh shit. Like this must've really been a big deal. We should really be pissed off. Yeah. And your brain tries to justify your actions. Yeah. Like, whoa, like you really got annoyed about this fucking burger. Like this is a real problem. And now all of a sudden for the next hour, you're fucking wound up about yeah. this jackass at the Four Seasons. Yeah. Instead of realizing, like if something like that happened to me, I would go, this is an awesome moment to remember that I live in a world where people will bring me food. Yeah. I don't have to go kill this cow. Yeah. They brought me this food. Not only that, they do their best to find out how I want it prepared. How rad is that? <laughs> and like, this dude may just be having a really bad day. You never know. Yep. So you know what? Like, I'm so stoked to live in a world where I don't have to kill this cow. This cow shows up. It's going to be tasty. Yes, maybe there are carcinogens in the burn marks. And I don't like the way they taste, but I can scrape those off pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and so when this guy comes at the end of the meal, I'm just going to thank him. Dude, you know what? Thank you for taking good care of us. Like this whole process has just reminded me that we live in a modern miracle where we can go yeah. out to a restaurant and for a few bones, like have an amazing experience. And by the way, the four seasons, like you guys know how to do it right. This fucking... <laughs> And your brain starts going, whoa, like a lot of really cool stuff just happened. Like, this is amazing. This must have been a really good experience because we just like went through this whole diatribe explaining that to the waiter. Like, it must have been awesome. Yeah. And so for the next hour, you just feel like life is good. Yep. The exact same situation. You frame it one way, you have a great day. You frame it the other and you stay pissed off. It's nuts. Yep. All about how you look at it. And the big realization that like, it's changeable. It's the same as your six pack. Like, if you want a six-pack really bad, even if you're a chubby guy, you can get it. Like, you can change it. It's just people don't think of the brain that way, you know? They just think of that as something you come with. Um, You've read Talent Code, obviously, right? Oh, yes. That's one of my... might be my favorite book. It's a great book. When you were talking about Mylan, it just... That was the first time I had really got into that, and, like, might be my favorite book. Mm. Um, Okay, so let's then get into impact theory so 
you make a bunch of money, you're on top of the world. How quickly did you dive back into work? The next morning? No, 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 that day. And this actually bothered my wife. So, so it refreshed your bank account and then your email. Literally. <laughs> and that was important to me. Yeah. So identity drives behavior. Yep. And so I was like, it is important to me that the employees know I'm not here for the money. Yep. And I can say that now and no one could fucking deny it because the day the money showed up, I was in the office. Yep. And no one would know, like no one had any idea that I was from a wealth perspective, a fundamentally different human being than I was when I left yep. the day before. Yep. So to them, it was completely invisible and I just got back to work. And my wife was like, really, really wanted to take the day off to celebrate. And look, her frame of reference isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I totally get that, no judgment. Like that's, that's her frame of reference. But for me, it was like, my identity does not allow me to take the day off. Like there are a thousand other days I could take off. But the day that I get money, I cannot yeah. and be who I want to be. Yeah. I can't, that day, I can't take that day off. Yeah. So that was really, really important to me. Um, and then we looked at like, okay, at this point we could buy an island and just retire and sit my ties forever. Like, is that what we want to do? Yeah. And the honest answer for me was no. It's just not, like, that's not what motivates me. Like, money's awesome, money's powerful, and I want to generate a lot more wealth. Like, there's levels to this shit. I want the $250 million house. Yep. I want to be able to do, like, what Jeff Bezos did and just, like, oh, let me just cash out a billion dollars of my Amazon stock real fast so that I can um, get to Mars. Yeah. Like, that, like, either that puts the look on your face that you have now, which yeah. is a big shit-eating grin, yeah. or you go, what, that's so dumb? Like, I'm the big shit-eating grin guy. Oh, like, that's me. Oh my God, so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I literally, I am so <laughs> jealous. Like, that's so awesome. Yeah. And he's sort of the human equivalent of the big house in Beverly Hills that yeah. I drive by and go, I wanna be like that. Yeah. Like, that's just unbelievable and so exciting to me and something that I really, really strive for. So it's like, no, like, we wanna go back, right? Do something you would love, even if you were failing, but have a mission. And so what's our mission? And when I'm at my truest, because of some experiences that I've been through in my life, mm -hmm. the, the truest thing for me is I wanna pull people out of the matrix. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the matrix, the movie is just the perfect analogy for the human experience. Yep. You live in a world of false beliefs and you think those beliefs are real. Mm -hmm. And once you realize, oh, this is actually like an operating system that's been installed in my brain, it yep. can be reinstalled, changed, updated. Um, and I can have a totally different belief system, then your world changes. And then you go from a kid from Ohio who launches a brand and actually does the work. And I hope people heard what you were saying because I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Rather than leverage the fame and make this a very tenuous MTV driven property that'll be hot for a minute and then evaporate once we're not the hot thing on MTV, yeah. I'm gonna go be invisible behind the scenes, not talk about that at all and do the fundamentals of business and build a brand, yeah. right? so smart and is why this will work. Thank you. So doing all of that, like that's just a, a much more powerful way to go about and build something, yeah. but that comes ultimately from extracting yourself from the matrix, building a mindset that's actually effective, building beliefs that serve you long-term, that aren't flash in the pan, they're not faddish, they're all things that are really sort of fundamental. Yeah. So. I play a game called No Bullshit, What Would It Take? So No Bullshit, What Would It Take to End um, uh, Metabolic Disease? That was Quest, right? And the answer was make food that people choose based on taste and it happens to be good for them. Yep. So impact theory, if we're gonna pull people out of the matrix, get rid of those limiting beliefs, show them that they can do anything they set their mind to without limitation, where do we have to go? 
And the answer is the only way that humans assimilate truly disruptive information is through narrative, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. That's how we pass on culture. It's how we teach each other to live. It's all through story. The stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, like that's the most important thing you've got going in your life. Yep. So knowing that, knowing that I don't want to change behavior, I want to leverage behavior. So I'm not going to tell people, go take more classes and go study on the weekends and read these books. They're not going to do that yep. unless they're already doing it. So I know they're going to read comic books, they're going to read books, they're going to watch TV shows, they're going to watch movies, they're going to play video games, yep. whether I tell them to or not, mm -hmm. whether the content is empowering or not, they're going to be doing those things. So that's how we feed culture. That's how we give people the, you know, the elements that become their this is water, becomes so ever-present that they don't even recognize that it's there. Yep. So to really, at scale, control people's mindsets, I've essentially got to take over popular culture. Yep. So, and the only way to do that is to make comic books, books, TV shows, movies, and video games. Got so it. that's what we're going to do. And right now, is it what you see on the YouTube page? Yeah. Right now, we're only creating social content, but we're doing that to build a following. No, it's, I get it. I get it. When I read that, I, I read it. It might be on Wikipedia or something. It says, like, the part A, part B, part yeah, C. Yeah, it's on our website. Yeah. Um, got it. And that's you being right out front as well. Yeah. You do good at it, man. You do really good at it. Um, so then that's what will follow behind is all of that. That's ah, so smart. That was, I will say, one of the genius things about Fantasy Factory that um, was never trying to teach or to say, watch us mm. work. It was always entertainment first. Yes. And that's where Rob was just absolutely genius. But... um. Oh man, it was always just fun first and the work and the, you know, like anyone who wanted to be an entrepreneur or who had that gene in them recognized that from a mile away and right. saw it as inspiration. But also little Jimmy who just wants to play video games for the rest of his life could also love the show because right. it's so hard, which I'm sure that you know, because you're diving into it, but to create successful, entertaining content with some sort of positive spin, right? right? You have, especially in the world of, of uh, the Kardashians and love and hip hop and right. all of the most successful things, or a lot of them, are terrible messages, you know, and terrible sort of underlying uh, whatever. Here's a question I have. Do you, what's your daily like sort of routine? It's, it's super locked in, so. Okay, I was gonna ask that. I was real yeah. curious if you had a locked in like thing or if it was pretty, have to. I am super lazy. Like that that is just a fundamental truth. So I have succeeded in spite of being lazy. I work very very hard, but my impulses are all lazy. Yep. Uh so to overcome that, I've had to be very structured. So I go to bed at 9 p.m. like it's a religion. Mm -hmm. And I don't set an alarm. I sleep as much as I need to. I prioritize sleep. Anything that helps me optimize cognitively, I do. So go to bed at nine, wake up when I wake up. I usually sleep five to six hours naturally. It's my natural rhythm. Yeah. Um, so if you go to bed at nine and you sleep five hours, you're up at 3 a.m. Yeah. or 2 a.m. So I'm usually up around there. I'm in the gym usually before 4 a.m. Uh, I hit the gym and that's the first thing I do. I absolutely hate the gym. I only go to the gym because the, the studies on its impact on cognitive performance are off the charts like there's just no question there is a body mind connection if you're not taking care of your body your mind is is just not 
operating optimally. So it's hugely important to me. Also, I prove discipline to myself that even though I don't like it, that I do it. And then it feeling stronger, looking good. Like these are all incredibly powerful things. So uh, hit the gym right away, work out five days a week. Um, and then I immediately meditate after working out because mm-hmm. I am trying to practice getting out of that fight or flight, um, sympathetic nervous system, elevated heart rate, breathing heavily, sweating. How rapidly can I slow my heart rate, calm my breathing, and um, go back to uh, baseline temperatures and things like that? So doing that is just incredibly powerful practice. And then also it's just good to meditate to calm your mind. Yeah. Um, that puts me in an alpha wave state. We talked about that earlier, calm, creative. Now I want to leverage that alpha wave state to think through my biggest business problems. So I do what I call thinkitating, which is where I'm taking that meditative state. I'll even keep my breathing, but I usually break posture, which Mm -hmm. by that point is getting uncomfortable anyway. Um, And maybe I lean back or I put my feet up or whatever, just keep a nice, comfortable posture, keep breathing into the nose, out through the mouth, and then thinking about some big thing, some problem that I'm trying to solve. Eyes closed or or no? Um, Eyes closed while I meditate sometimes eyes closed while I think it really depends. Yep. But when I'm meditating, always eyes closed. Yep. Um, and then I take notes while I'm think yep. So if a great idea comes up, I'll take that note and then go back to think um, and take more notes and, and just rock that out. And then when I finish that, which could last anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, depending on like how many great ideas I'm coming up with, uh, then I immediately go to reading. I read. Depending on what time I woke up, I'll allow myself um, up to about an hour of reading. Uh-huh. Um, I read on, it's technically not reading, I guess, because I'm using Audible. Uh-huh. I listen to Audible at 3x, uh-huh. so it's triple the speed. Yep. And uh, I do that because I've trained myself to be able to digest the information that fast. And you're not notes. doing anything else while you're doing it, right? Nothing. Okay. Um, and then when I finish reading, by 8 a.m., no matter what, so if I've woken up late that day, I just slept more for whatever reason, uh, by 8 a.m., I am doing my important things list. Mm-hmm. But usually, by the time I finish reading for an hour, it's you know it's more like 5.30 or 6. Yeah. And um, I start my important things super early. And that's just the list of things that are the most important things I could be doing to move the business towards my goals. Yeah. And I obsessively live in that list. I do not check email ever. Yeah. Um, I actually employ somebody whose number one responsibility is just look for high-level opportunities that come in my email. Yeah. Um, so if you can imagine, I get maybe 200 emails a day. I see probably less than one a day, yeah. just to, to give you an idea. All pre-vetted by my assistant. So how does um, somebody get a hold of you if they have a pressing issue? They call uh, you? It, well, if it's pressing, they're probably SOL unless they know me. Yeah. If they know me, then yeah, text me. I respond to text within minutes. Yeah. But anyone um, like on your team, so-and-so uh, wants to know if you can come in at... 2 p.m. on Friday. How does that scenario work? Are they just in your house already? Yeah, they they're just in my house. Say, hey, tap Tom. me on my shoulder. Yeah. yeah so and just ask, which I, I'm a huge believer in proximity. And yep. in the beginning, people were like, can we work from home? And I was like, no, because yep. we just, we need to be together. There's what time no does your team show up? Um, we don't have hard and set things. One of the things that they found is autonomy is one of the most important things. And so just uh, uh, for people's emotional well-being. So we're sort of a filter mechanism. If you need to be micromanaged, and yeah. some people really do, uh, you won't work. Yeah. Um, if you're sort of abusive about how much time you take off, it's not gonna work. Uh, we have an unlimited vacation policy, you go whenever you want, but you have to get your work done. You gotta be crushing it. It's not just like get your work done, 
it's crushing. Yeah, it's be yeah. so undeniably good at your job yeah. that when you take time off, people are like, hell yeah, man, I'll pick up the slack while you're gone. You need a vacation. Yeah. So um, that's a, a big thing for us. So, But they usually come in, the, the early birds start coming in around 8.30 and then the the people that have like their own morning ritual come in like 10.30. How many people? Uh, we have 12 people now. Does she work out of the house? She does not. So, so she gets maybe the one email answer. She if. she would be. Um, I, I'm not counting in the twelve. It's his PR lady. So yeah, she's our office. PR agency. Yep. So this is somebody that we work with on an agency contract basis, all outside. They've got their own a whole own amazing universe. So her email um, would get through. Her email would never reach me. No. Okay. But they would say like, "Hey, you're scheduled for that, whatever." Right. So jealous. So like when we booked so this, cool. yeah. Um, it was oh hey you're booked for this. You would have loved. Oh God, you would have loved this. Too bad Mason wasn't there. <laughs> They're like, um, you're booked on um, the the show short story long, and I'm like, oh, okay, who's that with? And they're like Chris Faff, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like drama yeah and they're like i think it's drama and i'm like whoa 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 whoa! is it drama oh, i'm like man. am i on drama show Son i was freaking bitch. out i'm like I, I it was one legitimately i was like i'm super over the moon so i'm like whoa whoa whoa, time out i need to know if this is actually drama or not because everyone's like i think it's him but i'm not sure i'm like we need to fucking find out if this uh, is drama so i know if i should be flipping out right now or not man that makes me so, so happy dude for uh. sure like yeah, that that was really neat for me. So I am just as excited to be here as anybody. Oh, this that's is insane. And so fantastic. also, so you guys had the you guys reached out just thinking he would be a good fit for it. Yeah, yeah, totally cold. That's incredible. Because you wonder what I think my biggest right now. My biggest uh, weakness in in just sort of viewership and everything is is just awareness. Sure. Like it's just you know what I mean. Like it just so happens that you're uh, so incredible at this and have such a legit story and are aware of what I even do anyway, right? right? So if once the show and and me building this sort of entrepreneurship side gets known a little bit more, it'll just be so much easier. But that's yeah, the no biggest, you know, that's the uphill battle still. Right. right? It's been I, a year in. I know in, it but, well. What yeah. do you say? You I know, know it well. well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He's telling the truth. He was so excited. Oh, that makes yeah, me so happy. Literal disbelief. I was like, I need somebody to confirm if this is drama or oh, not. Oh, God damn it. So happy. Okay, uh, man, this episode I'm is great for just my whole self-esteem maybe <laughs> like when awesome, this is man. over i'm gonna be like you earned it look at that one um okay so i'm really shocked by the lack of uh like time breakdown like in like wake up whenever you want this mm. happens kind of when that happens and blah 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 i'm jealous of it i just don't know if i have the natural discipline to ever do it like i feel like if i gave myself that much freedom i would bend it so here's the thing. It comes down to your goals, right? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I, I really, 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 from an identity standpoint, have made myself, remember, the way I change my identity is the following. I say, I'm the type of person that. So yeah. I want to change my identity. I'm the type of person that is a slave to his goals. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I'm that type of person. Now I've got to live up to that. So what would a person who's a slave to his goals do? Yeah. First of all, they'd have very clear goals. But second, and way more important, those goals would be legitimately exciting to them. Yep. So my goals are things that get me so fucking amped up yeah. that like I want to do them. I want to get that across the finish line. I want to do those things and be around it. And so for 15 years, I didn't read more than one fiction book a year. Now, I love fiction more than you can imagine. My first love is filmmaking, yeah. all tied into fiction books and everything. Books are a great feeder into movie making. 
but I had decided I need to control my art. Yep. My goal was to amass the wealth so that I could be the one in control, build my own studio. Yep. So I had to stop. And so I didn't have to remind myself not to read fiction. I wasn't reading it, like looking over my shoulder and yeah, feeling guilty. Yeah. When I was reading fiction, it felt so out of alignment with my goal yeah. that I, I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah, that's how I am right now. I can't do it. I feel like I'm just wasting so much time. Yeah. So that's why once you get that kind of alignment, you don't have to worry about yourself slipping. Yeah. You may have to ask yourself, is there a goal at play here that I'm not being honest about? Yeah. Right? So for instance, last night I stayed out until midnight, which I never do, never do. Yeah. But I got, imagine this, a secret invitation shows up at my house uh -huh. and says, Tom Bilyeu, you've been invited to an influencer dinner of some of the most amazing minds in Southern California. Show up at this time, ask for this person, do not give anyone your last name, do not discuss what you do, do not tell other people what you do, take your shoes off at the door. If you RSVP and say you're coming and don't show, you will never be invited again. If you're even a minute late, you will not be allowed in, you will never be invited again. That's all the information you're gonna get, show up yes or no. And I was like, oh shit. Fucking of course. So I had to go, right? No to that? Like yeah. to see what this is about. Yeah. So I roll up what and go inside and um, I walk in and I'm like, hey everybody. So how's is it, it a house going? Or what type of venue? It was a, a beautiful condo mm -hmm. overlooking um, Santa Monica. Okay. Just stunning. Mm -hmm. And go in and I'm like, and in the thing it says, if you recognize anyone, don't say anything. Just treat them like anybody else. It's like one of those weird swingers parties you hear about. I'd need to know a little bit more of the ratio before I'd head to something like that, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, so go there and start talking to people and I don't recognize, like there's there was one person that I knew yep. and that was actually interesting because I knew him and knew what he did and I'm like, this guy's a fucking player. Yeah. So I'm like, made me start thinking like, is yeah. everybody like that? And I just have no idea who they are. Yeah. And um, the evening, this is a very, a very short story long here, yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah. Uh, go and have an unbelievable time. I don't think I'm supposed to say who the people were, so yeah, I will just fine. say this. Because I don't want to get killed. One of them whatever. was like a major, major music producer. Uh -huh. I didn't recognize him. I felt so bad. because I was like, when he starts naming the songs that he'd been involved in, I was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, amazing. And more importantly, there's a really, really fascinating guy who is from the Middle East, and I actually knew his story. I didn't recognize him, yeah. but I knew his story because there was this big documentary made about him. And I was like, it was one of those, you're that guy. Yeah. And so we ended up really hitting it off. And so I found myself, like other people were you know, saying their goodbyes, like, oh, I have to get up early tomorrow. And I thought, this is interesting. I realized that I have a value above getting to bed early, yeah. and that's, this amazing opportunity has presented itself. I'm, yeah. I'm having this incredible experience and just getting to meet and spend time with these people so trumps like staying in routine because it feels very important to my goals right now yeah. to build a bigger and better network, um, which is something historic. Like I'm actually quite introverted. Yeah. So um, I don't, the impulse doesn't exist in me to go like then try to make it an ongoing relationship yeah 
Um, so, and I'm really trying to be better at that. So last night at that dinner, I thought, okay, this actually is something that my goal demands. So even though it competes with my notion of I'm the person that always goes to bed at 9 p.m., like it makes sense it's moving me towards my goal. Yep. But you think about, you consciously every single time think about that. Is this worth me breaking my routine? Yes, every time. And what, do you have any things that are like your, not necessarily some dark vice, but like what's your thing that you do that means nothing that isn't towards your goal? Nothing? Um, no, there probably is stuff, but like even things, so I rarely, rarely drink. Mm -hmm. I rarely cheat on my diet. Mm -hmm. When I do, I do it to create a certain environment with my wife. Yeah. And so that's, while it's a bit cheeky to say I drink for my marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I essentially yeah. drink for my marriage, right? Like we have so much fun getting no, into you, an emotional yeah. bubble. When you said that in the beginning, it made me so jealous, like of marriage, mm -hmm. you know? Cause like a lot of times you just hear like, you, my like people that I know will want to go drink instead of having to stay in with right. their wife, right? Can, but to hear this like, well, I kind of just drink when I want to create this bubble of connection and of whatever. I'm like, yeah. God damn it, that made me want to be married. Dude. So marrying the right person is the most magical thing on the face of the planet. It is unbelievable. I'm a huge, huge believer in love. Yeah. I'm also a huge believer in commitment and what a relationship means and all that. But selection is what matters. And if you pick the wrong person, I can't imagine anything more torturous. That's what I was going to say. Than somebody you don't like legitimately. I like sex more than you can imagine. Yeah. Like I'm just, I like sex, <laughs> but sex with somebody I don't connect with is wholly uninteresting yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. And being in a relationship where you're vulnerable and you give yourself over to somebody is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. But to have to make all the compromises in a relationship with somebody who doesn't make you feel good about yourself, you don't feel like they're, that you're their number one, they're not your number one, they're not your favorite person to be around. There's nothing more torturous than having that person in your house all the time. Yeah. And to have to be making compromises. Literally, my thing to people is, if you don't feel like you are your significant other's number one person. What are you doing? Yeah. Why are you making the sacrifices? Yeah. Literally, to me, it it is as weird as being in an abusive relationship. I actually don't understand it. Yeah. I totally don't get it. And if my wife and I were like that, we would either immediately fix the problem or we would separate. Nothing else makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't fear being alone. I guess that's part of my problem. That's a big thing. Yeah. Like, I just think that's a big thing. I don't know if that's something that's built into people's brains or not, but I think just the fear of being alone drives so many people to compromise. Yeah. But it's just even my friend the other day, like one of our, you know, really intelligent friends that's in and out of the office a lot, just said, I don't know what he was talking about, but he said, the worst decision in life you can make is marrying the wrong person. And right. it just like, I was just like, whew. That's, uh, that's the truest agreed. thing I've heard. Yeah, because I'm at a, I moved out here. When I moved out here, all my friends were older than me. And then when I partnered with these guys on Young and Reckless, they were older than me. Everyone my whole life has been older than me. And so now what's it was really fun in the beginning because we're going out. And I went from like 18 to 28, essentially, right? right? And But now everyone's married and like having kids. And mm -hmm. so I almost have this like feeling of I'm falling behind or I'm doing something wrong, or now I'm the one out here, which you know, obviously I know isn't accurate, but it just gives you that weird sort of feeling. Mm. But he spouted that off the other day, and I was like, that is the truest thing I've ever heard, and I will gladly sit and wait. Yes. Or just be alone. I don't, I, to me, it's not. it doesn't seem like this daunting, huge, scary thing. Right, Marrying so. a terrible person seems like a daunting, huge, scary thing. Yes. Um, so not really, there's not much that you do or that you fight with or that like, oh, I really wanna, I don't know. 
eat this cheeseburger or play these oh, video games uh, or... well so a i do play video games but again with my wife mm, that yep. that's one of my greatest accomplishments yep. getting my wife to play video games um and also like finding ways to make something more valuable so for instance if you told me hey man i really need to learn how to rapidly go from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system staying calm under pressure but i like I don't want to do it in a business meeting where like I want to minimize my chance for fuck ups. Like, what do I do? I'd say, yeah. oh, play first person shooters against real people. Yeah. Because you'll get in that zone where you realize the more you let this sort of panic and energy take you over, the worse you'll do. And yeah. the more in the chaos that you can stay level-headed and calm, the better you do. Yeah. And it'll give you a chance to practice. So I look at video games like that. Um, so that's how you put it into, like you can put it into a goal box. Correct. And if you're spending time with your wife, obviously, I'm sure one of your goals is the relationship with Absolutely. your wife, right? So, uh, got it, got it. So, and there are ways, like, if, if you really feel like you come alive when you do something, yeah. like, it doesn't need a lot more justification than that. Yeah. So then it really becomes a question of, is there a way to monetize this? Is there a way to make this a bigger part of your life? Um, and that's where I think people really don't ask. They have these things in their life that do make them feel alive. And like, I'll, I'll give you a really bad example. There's some people, I don't understand them, but there are some people who are just like, dude, all I want to do with my life is drink with my friends. Yeah. Cool. Now, if I'm that guy, the way my brain works, immediately I go, hey, you know, it's interesting. We're living through a time right now where microbrews are massive. Yeah. Is there a niche that me and these three other guys could come up with where we work four days a week yep. brewing and then on fridays it's the get pissed with your friends day yeah. and we drink our beer we drink competitors beers we bring other people around we do a whole social media thing around it we build a following based on like there is a way where all of a sudden you go i can't believe this is my life yeah you're so right so but Fuck, people so don't right. push themselves to think about yeah how do i take this thing that i love and really turn it into something yeah you're so fucking right and I just feel like, I don't know, there's just so much emphasis put on. A lot of times I feel pressure to get better at having time that means nothing because it's a problem for me. At all times, I want to know why I'm doing it, right? And I think to a degree it's unhealthy, but I think that like there's a healthy way to go about it. You know, I think you can approach it in a healthy way, but I just have trouble with like, hey, let's just go here and do this thing for no reason. It's, Can I set you free? Yeah. They're the fools. Yeah. And spending every second of your time doing what makes you feel the most alive yeah. is the right answer. And if yeah. that's working, work. But if work sucks, take time off. Yeah. My thing is when you leave it all out on the field, right? I play so hard every day to build this fucking company, to put myself out there, to do whatever it takes yeah. to be successful. When I want a day off, I fucking take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And if I want to stare at a wall on my day off, I'll start at a wall, yeah. right? Like whatever I want to do, because yeah. I know that I have bled for my dreams. I have bled to help the team. I have left it all out there. I can look at each and every one of the people that have built their lives around my vision. Yeah. I can look at them and say, I'm doing everything I can to move this thing forward. Yeah. So I take days off with absolutely no guilt, yeah. but also if while I'm there, I want to work on something, I'm going to work on something. Yeah. So if like, let's say I take a stack of comic books with me on vacation, nothing triggers more ideas for me than comic books. So I could be in a joyous state reading comic books, writing down ideas, things that we should move forward, projects that we want to work on, uh, responding to um, 
the community going in and Facebook and IG and replying to them, going on YouTube, replying to comments. In fact, while my wife and I were in Bora Bora on our 15 year wedding anniversary, yeah. we were doing Facebook Live. Yeah. Like, cause we loved it and have a great time doing it. It's a lot of fun for us in our relationship because we do a show called Relationship Theory where we answer questions about relationships and how we've made it work for so long and working together and all that. Yep. And we love doing the show. So sure, like if you take some dogmatic stance that if you're always quote unquote working, you're gonna work yourself to death, then you see me do that and you think, oh my God, what a fool. But the irony is if you wanna know what activity in a work type scenario is most likely to lead to coronary heart disease. <laughs> yeah. The answer is to feel powerless. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Yeah. That feeling like your boss controls your destiny. Yeah. That will give you heart disease. You can take as many days off as you want. Yeah. When you're in the office, if you feel powerless, you feel like you're being pushed around, you're being underpaid, you're being underappreciated, that will actually kill you. Yeah. When I read that stat, that freaked me out. Yeah. And it should freak you out as well because as an employer, I feel a tremendous sense of obligation to my employees yeah. to not let them get sucked into that trap Yeah, because I have a strong vision and we are all going to follow my vision in no uncertain terms. Everyone that gets hired at Impact Theory has to hear the following speech. I am a benevolent dictator, but I am a dictator and you are here because you believe in my vision. If you don't believe in my vision, you have any intention of fighting me, pushing back, you don't understand it, whatever you need clarity, I'll happily give it to you. But this is what we're executing on. We yeah. will never deviate from that until I believe that a new path is more likely to lead to the end goal. And if you're on board with that, literally all but, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, all but make people do the sword and down <laughs> on one knee and say like, we're gonna follow. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't believe that the leader is more important. Yeah. Leader's not more important. Ever, we're all equal importance, but there can only be one vision that we are executing against. Yeah. And there has to be total clarity for that. Yeah. So I do not ask for deferential treatment. Don't treat me any differently. Like if you've got something to say, say it. And no, there will be absolutely no reprisal for speaking your mind. Don't be a dick, because that's like a company thing. I'm not gonna be a dick. Yeah. I don't expect you to be a dick. But to think that you can't say something because I'm the boss, like you now you're doing the company a disservice. To think that you have to treat me better than you would treat somebody else, now you're doing the company a disservice. The only thing I'm saying is, we're all agreeing that I'm leading. Yep. That's it, that's the only thing we're agreeing on. We're not agreeing that leaders are better, I don't think they are. I think that managers are just as critical, yeah. and managers probably are gonna be the person that you're closer to, because they're there working with you one-on-one, -on -one, really mentoring you, all that stuff. Yep. So getting the the belief that everybody in the organization is equal but it's like let's make no mistake we're driving behind one vision so that's very tangential to the fact that look when it's something you love when it's something that you want to do it if you want to do it on your day off your time off whatever you don't want to play video games you'd rather do that do yeah, that yeah yeah your clarity is insane like i just love your ability to like man like it's it's like you know what part of the sometimes negative thing, the word dictator, you know what part to be very clear on, this is why it is that, and this is what, so let's not be ridiculous, it's not a negative thing, right. here's what we're doing here. And like, I don't know, man, it's something that, it's just very clear, I don't know how else to say it, you know, it's very clear mm -hmm. on like, I'm, I'm in this to make a lot of money, but only by giving people value. Right. You can't be mad at that. I'm a dictator, but only because you know, we're following the same vision. Can't be mad at it. Um, what else is in the daily routine? Is there a nighttime? Um, my nighttime routine is is rapid. So um, I'm the type of person that 
if I'm awake, I'm either working or working out. Mm-hmm. So I work from the time that I wake up until the time that I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so my night routine, I sort of move around where I work. Mm-hmm. So uh, start at the desk with everybody else. Most people start leaving around 7, 7.30. Um, every now and then the interns will stay longer if they want to ask me questions or whatever, which is one of the, their payments since it's an unpaid internship. If they ever have questions, I will stop and sit there and answer them. Yeah. Um, and then usually around eight ish, I'll have my final meal. I'll go upstairs while I eat my final meal. I'll sit and watch about 20 minutes of TV with my wife. Yep. And then we wrap that and then I'll keep working until about 10 minutes before I actually want to close my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then I get up, brush the teeth, prep the bed and then off yep. to sleep. Yep. Do you do affirmations? Yes. When? Like, uh, probably 1400 times a day you just have a memory yeah how many is it like how many um, sentences? I, it's more just like a running dialogue but the things that i say to myself uh if you look at um impacttheory.com we have this thing called the impact theory belief system you can download it yeah uh, and it's the 25 bullet points that i believe anybody no matter what you're trying to do with your life they're the 25 things you need to do and believe um that will help you so Human potential is limitless. You can do anything you set your mind to. There's a gap between who you are and who you need to become. Yeah. Uh, you know, the gap in skill set. Uh, we're always learning, like yeah. things like that. And so I'll say to myself, I'm the learner. Be humble. Sit at their feet. Listen. Um, Just always kind of running back there. Yeah. You pride yourself on, you know, finding the right answer or not being right. Um, your self-esteem is built around that, you know, so take pride in that. Hey, you should feel good about this. Like, it's just this running dialogue, things like when I realize that I'm wrong and somebody points out that I'm wrong, I'm like, good, here's your opportunity to prove to yourself that you can do this. Uh, I'm in the gym and the sets hurt and it sucks. And it's like, Hey, be proud of the fact that you're here putting in the work. 99% of the world doesn't even show up. And when they do, they stop at the first sign of resistance. Like you always push through, you do the difficult things like that kind of stuff. Uh, and what about the gratitude practice? Yeah, I is do. Is that like a scheduled thing? or It, is... it isn't, if I'm completely honest. But mm-hmm. when I need it, it's always there, and I do it when I meditate. So um, sometimes I'll do the gratitude either right before I think a tate or right after I think a tate. And is that like a set thing, I'm, gra- I'm grateful for these things, or is it you, you make it up? I every try day? to vary it, yep. and I try to do some big things and some small things yep. so that you don't lose sight of, you know, like the look my wife, gives me when she's proud of me yeah. i love that look yeah you know and to just think about it and really picture it and let you feel that thing yeah um and because my default setting i've trained it so much to sort of live in the things that are going right to live in the things that i'm grateful for i really only do like a sit down gratitude practice when i'm feeling off mm-hmm. like i'm just I'm having a hard time catching that buzz. I'm having yep. a hard time, like I'm seeing the negative stuff, you know, yeah. which does happen from time yeah. to time. And then I'll really use it as a technique to get me back out of that. Yep. Um, I'm big on action, right? And I'm big on Wisely like, so. What is that? Wisely so. Yeah, and, and I'm big on, not only that, but I'm big on like sort of going, a whole story here, I'm trying to get better at this. Like, okay, you're, you know, you're a young guy in college, let's say, and you really just latched on to this whole story and this whole podcast. Um, I really want to make sure that I try to give people as much immediate action as possible. My question would be, if you are that guy or girl, 
uh, who just listened to this whole thing and you're like, man, I am fired up. I'm ordering those books. I'm reading that article. I'm doing these things. What would your sort of plan of action tomorrow be? What do you do tomorrow? Maybe you, yeah. you know, you, you, I would say for the sake of trying to cover as many people as possible, you know, maybe you're passionate about something, but you haven't started it. You know, you're probably not happy with sort of your daily routine. What would you tell that person to do Thursday morning? I would say punch yourself in the mouth. Yep. Because it's Wednesday and you should have started on Wednesday. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> assuming that they actually yeah, start right. today, this is exactly what they should do. Identify the person that's living the life that you most want to live. Yep. And this is not one where you settle. And you're going to go to that person and you are going to say exactly the following words. Somebody you know. No. Okay. No, I can't imagine it's going to be somebody you know. No, it's in your mind you're saying these words. Yeah, you, okay. you no no no, you're going to you're going to go to that person. Okay. So what I should have done in college is gone to Steven Spielberg and said the following words. Yeah. So for me it would have been him. Yeah. And I would have gone to him and said, um, dear Mr. Spielberg, I am very aware of your work and what you're trying to do and bring to this world and I'm going to work harder and smarter for you for free than anyone ever for 90 days. Mm -hmm. At the end of those 90 days, if I've brought so much value to you that you'd rather pay me than lose me, then I'll stay on as a full-time employee. If not, no problem. We will shake hands and part ways and I will have been very grateful for the time. The only thing that I ask in exchange is for time and connections mm -hmm. and that's it and you pick a handful of people that meet that criteria yep. and you go after them and it's restraining order or a no yeah now if they say no leave them be fine yeah. full respect they said no but if they don't say no and they're stringing you along keep going keep going keep going be persistent until you either get the no or the restraining order yep. and just nothing in between now the reason that you do that is i think internships like going back to like the renaissance days or even like um, Benjamin Franklin, you did an apprenticeship and that apprenticeship lasted for years yeah. and you got good, like really great at something before you tried to go do it. Now social media has totally flipped that and people are trying to build an audience before they actually have anything that they're good at. Yeah. Like I so love that you went and sort of shut down that world and went and got good at something first yeah. before now stepping out front, like actually building a real business yeah. that's so smart because you're worth listening to. Mm -hmm. And so many people, they never take the time to become worth listening to. Like, yeah. understand, your audience only cares about one thing. How can you help them? Yeah. So if, it's, if you're trying to make it about you, you're never going to get a good audience. So you need to find a way to really bring value to people. So going and spending three years, five years at the heel of the person who's living your ideal life, yeah. And the whole time they're teaching you and they're introducing you to people. Oh my God. Like you would just cut off years and years and years of fumbling and struggling. And especially if you're that young guy, it's like you're in a period in your life where being poor is okay. And yeah. by okay, I mean, you can still get laid. Yeah. You can get laid as a 22 yeah. year old who's broke. Sure Good can. luck getting laid as a 32 year old who's broke. Yep. So use that time where like the world is not yet judging you yep. for being broke and leverage that because people think they need money out of the gate and they do not. It is so like if you think if the person is not really teaching you anything that you plan to leverage for the rest of your life, but they're paying you even, let's say, $100,000, that's $100,000 a year that you can make with that skill. If instead you donate that year for knowledge and connections, 
you suddenly take what you've essentially paid $100,000 for, right? Because you could have had the $100,000. So you just paid $100,000 for all those connections and that knowledge, yep. which is now exactly what you want to do, which you can then go on to leverage for something for years and years and years doing exactly what you want to do. Yep. It is so much more powerful. Somebody actually ran the math on this once, and I need to go back and memorize that math equation because the way that it pays out if you get the knowledge and the connections is is just ridiculously yeah. more. Yeah. Huge. God, you're so it's just so good because you are dead on to like there that's what you do. Go do that. It's not some high level like, well, first write right. down 10 things. Um knowing everything you know now. This is kind of similar, but this is more like lifeless. I ask everyone this and I'm just curious on it. Knowing everything you know now, uh and everything that you've been through and built and, and all of this stuff. If you could go back to little Tom, who thought for sure that he was ollieing like three or four feet right. high, right? But just, just watch the video that uh, he wasn't getting all the way off the ground. Mm. Uh, and you could tell him anything to take with him on all of his life. Now, give him a little bit of a shortcut. What would you tell little Tom? That's very easy. So I would say to little Tom, you need to understand that the whole point is growth. Your talent and intelligence are not fixed. They're malleable. Mm -hmm. So you suck at skateboarding because you're afraid of pain. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you need to know right now, the point is not to avoid the pain. And you need to stop asking yourself, what's the least you can do to get good? And you need to start asking yourself, what's the most you can bear mm -hmm. to become great? Mm -hmm. Once you understand that the whole point is to let the suffering and the pain harden you, into becoming the version of yourself that you need to become in order to execute at the highest level to be world-class at anything and stop avoiding it, stop being afraid of it and start understanding for what it really is, which is the thing that shapes you. So my entire youth, I feared pain. I moved away from pain. If something was emotionally or physically difficult, I avoided it. And I remember being in the gym one day and going, motherfucker, will you stop asking? Like, what's the least you need to do to consider it a full week workout? Because mm -hmm. it was like, could I stop now? Could I stop now? Could mm -hmm. I stop now? And I was like, do you want the muscles? Or do you want to like put on a show that you showed up? Like, you showed up, yeah. right? Like, because the muscles demand what the muscles demand. Yeah. Like, you have to break them down. You have to push. You have to do more. Like, so it is purely a question of how much you're willing to bear because there's never going to be enough. You could have always done more. Yep. So you need to hit a fucking breaking point and you need to focus on pushing that breaking point as far back as humanly possible so that other people come in and they are afraid for you. If people come in and see you working out and they start crying <laughs> yeah. because of what you're doing to yourself, yep. now you're onto something. Yep. And that changed for me and that really became, and admittedly, I don't express myself in the gym like that, but I do other things to that extreme. Yeah. And that's where you're able to really get great is you're, you just push beyond what anybody else thinks is reasonable. Mm -hmm. Like, cause here's the, this is what I love about magic. So I've studied magic at the magic castle. I have an absolute fascination with mm -hmm. magicians and magic. And there's two types of people. Type one, when they learn how a trick was done, they're disappointed. Yep. Type two, when they learn how it's done, they're more impressed than ever because yep. they recognize the amount of work it takes to do that. Yep. Here's what makes magic work. Magic takes so much practice and forethought, so much practice and forethought yep. that you'd rather believe that it's magical than believe that somebody would train for 10,000, 20,000 hours 
just the way that they hold their hands and talk and all that to make it seem like the card disappeared. Yeah. It's easier to believe that really it just did disappear. Yeah. Or like one of my favorites where you see the basketball and the person says, pick a card, any card, you pick a card. And then they say, is this your card? And you're like, no. And they're like, oh, I must've thrown it too far. Go grab that basketball and cut it open. And you go, no, it can't be. <laughs> you pick up the basketball, you cut it. Oh God, my fucking card is in the basketball. Yeah. Now you're more prepared to believe that like magic just exists than to believe that that guy went to Spalding and said, hey, I'm a magician. Yeah. Um, I need to get you guys to manufacture a ball. Uh, in fact, I need five different balls with these five different cards. Yeah. And if you could just make them for me, that would be great. And then what he does is he learns how to force you to pick a card, which is hard but not impossible and he knows you're going to pick one of a few different cards like ace of spades is a big one two of mm -hmm. hearts is a big one um i think it's like seven of clubs like there's just certain cards people yeah. are more likely to pick anyway and then he has each of the balls put in different places he's memorized the location of each of the balls he's had the manufacturer with the card in it he forces you to pick one of those cards you think you've picked of your own free will he palms it so that your card is actually missing so that when he shows you the deck it's not there and then when you go cut it open, it seems like magically your card has appeared there. But really, he's just put an obscene amount of work into it. Yeah. So obscene that you're like, well, there's no way that he'd go to a basketball manufacturer. That's just not possible. Yeah. Which is so, more impressive than magic. Right. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Way more impressive. Yeah. So to me, that's like, that's, that's the name of the game. Like, are you willing to put in such an inhuman amount of work that when you build Young and Reckless from the outside, it looks like magic? Because for them to believe that you actually just worked this hard, yeah. for them to believe that you you took the opportunity that was presented to you, which was, we'll say, a spark. Yeah. You took that spark and turned it into a bonfire. But they need to write that off yeah. because it means that they have not made the same use of the sparks that they've been given. Yeah. I agree, a million percent. Um, and the fact of the matter is, it's worth it every single time. For the sure. work is worth it. I think that people question that you sort of you maybe you have that moment of clarity where you're like okay this is how much work it's going to take to accomplish this whether it's muscles build a business whatever it is and then i think they second guess whether the work is actually worth it and i just think like you're you're such a testament just because of the way even i can just tell by your energy and how happy of a guy you are and whatever like it's all worth it you've dedicated your life to being very clear about your dreams and executing them and you're happier than ever and i just think like that's a big i don't know who said it, it might have been even like a gary v thing or something where he, if he said like if i could show you a picture of what you'd look like right. after 10 years of doing this you would do it right. every time you'd do it but it's the fact that you can't see that so you have to just go at it with sort of blind faith and i think that's where a lot of people get lost too no question um okay the opposite end of that spectrum you're you know 80 years old sort of I always say this, I'm sure at 80 years old, you're still going to be like, you'll be in some sort of machine, like fucking chamber, like just working. But I'm saying the legacy play, yeah. right? When it comes back to like, this is what Tom did. This is what he stood for. This is who he was. What is that bigger picture to you? I care deeply about how I think about myself. Yeah. And so I think that 
when I'm acting in accordance with how I want to feel about myself today, it looks like I'm playing for legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe in legacy. Mm-hmm. And I believe that when you die, that's it. Mm-hmm. And like a light switch. So it'll be utterly meaningless to me. Mm-hmm. Um, whether people remember my name, whether my name is extinguished. Like, I don't think Leonardo da Vinci cares whether people know his name because I don't think he knows. Mm-hmm. So um, because of that, and because I actually do plan to live forever, mm-hmm. um, I don't think about legacy i think about i want to be a good person and so i do good things i love helping other people so i help other people but that's all right now in the moment today um and yeah i think that today is the only thing that's actually real so i just focus here i love it um did we miss anything i don't know man like i'm all about adding value to your community so wherever you think we need to go like if there's a burning question they're always like don't forget to ask yeah i feel like the biggest thing is the action i'm trying to get better at like but here's what you do you know here's how you start here's how you you know you can listen to this whole story and you can almost like you said like you can we can give more like if you i got more action steps coming your way yes just give some more action all right number one always be reading like if you're not reading a nonfiction book right now today about an area that you need to get better at, like yep. what are you doing? You're wasting your time. So the reason the, the movie The Matrix is the perfect allegory for the human condition is he needs Kung Fu, so he learns Kung Fu. Yep. So you need to understand first, what is your goal? So that's the next thing you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. You're gonna write, write down your goal. You're gonna write it down. It is super specific so i want to be rich and famous that is not a goal mm-hmm. okay that's super fucking vague if you say i want to generate a hundred million dollars by building the next um young and reckless like apparel brand yeah. awesome that's specific now we can back into what the skill set is that stands between who we are today and who we need to become in order to execute against that so your hyper hyper specific goal you're reading now books that are going to give you the skill set that you need to feed into that goal. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, depending on what it is, all the other specifics will be tied to the specifics of your goal. But those are two big things. Like, Do you put the goal up in your bedroom? I don't because it is so ever-present but, in my life. But should little Tommy? Yeah, sure. Like when I first started lifting, I had a picture of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine yeah. everywhere I turned. Yeah because that's what I wanted to look like. That's amazing. And so that was like my obsession. And I just thought about it all the time and could constantly check myself. Am I there? Am I there? And the answer was no, no, no. So it's like, you gotta keep going, gotta keep going, gotta keep going. So yeah, putting it up somewhere visible and most importantly, telling other people, like this should not be a secret thing. This is something you tell everybody. Like think about it, I've got credibility now because of what I've done at Quest, but like when I was at Quest and I had no credibility and told everybody that we're going to end metabolic disease, yeah. people were like, who are you yeah. like to say that? And I'm like, look, I think it's going to take us about 50 years and like this is a long-term play. And so, but I told anybody who will listen. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, people would write in and be like, well, I know that your mission as the company is to end metabolic disease. Yeah. And for them, it was just, that's what you were doing. Yep. And so they were behind it and they believed in you because you had a bigger vision. It wasn't just about money. So when we spun out, we started Impact Theory. I just told everybody, we're going to pull people out of the matrix and we're going to do it by building a bigger studio than Disney, period. Yeah. Now, why would anybody think that I could actually pull that off? And I love that because you need to remember, doubt is a gift. That yeah. is a gift. Like, there need to be some people who don't believe in you so that you can push against that. It is just part of human nature. You yeah. need people that support you and you need people that hate yeah. on you. And when yeah. you can learn to balance that, 
I spend 80% of my time looking at the beautiful things in my life, the beautiful things I want to create, the people that are really helping me and encouraging me. And I spend 20% of the time being angry with myself, being grossly disappointed in who I am, focusing on the people that hate me and want to see me fail. And I, I so, and with so much seething anger in my heart, refuse to let them be right. Yeah. That in the times where beauty fails me and it's just not enough to kick my ass and get me going, which sometimes it's not. Yep. Sometimes you are too tired, you're too fatigued, you're too scared, whatever, for the beautiful things to save you. Yeah. Then you need the hatred. Yeah. You need the anger. You need the, I will never let this fucking guy get one over on me. I will not give him the satisfaction. And it's there for you. And nature has built it in. Anger is useful yeah. when it's not using you. Yep. You've got to be the one in control. Yeah, you know You've how to manage it. Hundred percent. Yep. Because that's the big one, man. Is like if you, it's knowing how to manage it. It's like if you, if you, it, it's such a fuel. But if you let it, if you let that become the eighty percent, you're in trouble. You're screwed. Screwed. Where can people get more of this? If I'm listening right now and I haven't, was the best place on your YouTube page right now? Yeah, Tom Billu everywhere. Tom Billu Spell on it. YouTube. B is in Bravo, I L Y E U. And, and it's Tom also probably right on your iPhone or your Android or whatever you're using out there. And you do speaking too, right? Yeah. How often? Um, as much as it makes sense. So uh, it's largely determined by what we're trying to do, the audience that they reach. Yep. Um, I prefer really large events because I'm hitting more people. Yep. Um, but I make one promise if I do a speaking event for somebody, um, I will stay and answer every question, unless I'm being trolled, but I'll stay and answer every legitimate question. I've answered questions, I think, up to eight hours before. Jesus. So I'll just go, and they're always kicking us out of the venue, so this <laughs> always ends up in the parking lot. Um, but I will stand there and answer questions until the last question has been answered. And I always tell people, because they think they're all, they're all going to be tough guys, like, you can't break me. Yeah. So like, I remember the first time I did it, Finally, after about like six hours, the person was like, can we just sit and keep doing the conversation? <laughs> now, keep in mind, I hadn't eaten, I hadn't gone to the bathroom, nothing. I was just standing there answering questions. Yeah. So it is, um, it's a fun way for me to prove to myself who I am and how far I'm willing to go for the community. And that's and, what the drive is behind that? Oh yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. the like, I, having the conversations. I wanna show people the lengths to which I'm willing to go to bring them value yeah. because I'm going to need them. Yeah. When we go to build the studio, I'm going to need them. Yeah. And at that moment, they need to be like, that fucking guy stood outside mm -hmm. the, the entire event. Like I was doing this one time at Success Live. Mm -hmm. So Success Magazine throws this live event um, and I'm standing there answering questions for so long, they disassembled the stage behind me. Yeah. So, and I was still there. How many people are in the crowd? Questions. It started, I probably had, I don't know, like 50 people around yeah, me. Yeah. And then by the time they're disassembling the set, it's like 12 people around me. <laughs> yeah. And then finally it gets down to like the one or two. Yeah. And then finally it's like, they, they're just standing there now, but it's like, all right, do we have any more questions or are we done? Yep. And then, you know, finally it's like, yeah, I've, I've asked everything I'm going to ask. Oh, that's so good. Um, what about other social media? Are you, is there any, you do a lot of like Twitter stuff? Yeah, I'm crazy active on social. So I'm way active on YouTube, way active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Perfect. And it's Tom Bilyeu on all those things yep, also? Yeah, at Tom Bilyeu. Um, And what about the website? 
impacttheory.com. There's a lot of information there. on there too. A ton right? of stuff. It's our hub for all of our content. Ultimately, that's going to be where we push everybody. Yeah. Um, but right now we're still like making the site super sticky and functional. I mean, it's great. You can go and you should check out the merchandise. Ooh, nice. Which, by the way, huh? Nice. Already uh, on it. Which we should do a team up. We I would love to. We should do a to. team up with Young and Reckless. I would love to. Um, so that'd be amazing. Yep. And yeah, just uh, get that merch. We are a merch company. We know that. It's yep. the only way that we're going to make money. Yeah. Um, but the great news is it's it's real value. So there's this thing called self-signaling that happens originally you buy an apple computer and it faces other people and all that to tell them who you are yep. but you tell nobody more effectively than you tell yourself mm -hmm. so telling other people you're an apple guy telling somebody that you're young and reckless like mm -hmm. you then signal to yourself what you're all about that you live that lifestyle mm -hmm. and so that to me is why brand is so important like what does it mean to represent impact theory yeah. right so making sure that people really understand that because they're going to be telling themselves a story almost on accident yeah by wearing the shirt or buying one of the posters or yeah. whatever i think we did it man i feel really good dude this was awesome i mean i just so think the fun. amount of value i think it's dead on and i think that like the i knew it was going to be good but i think your ability to like hit value i think my audience is gonna love it's awesome man thanks for having me on thanks for doing it Dude, thanks for doing what you're doing. You're a really interesting, rare example of a completely televised birth yeah. and creation of a brand. It's, yeah. it's like, it should be studied. I'm telling you, man, this uh, this episode's just going to have me on like a high for the rest of the day. Rightly so. You've earned it. Uh, let's continue to build, man. Let's figure out more work we can do together and more just, I'm you know. Ready the second you are. Done deal. Guys, thank you for listening. Tom, thank you so much for giving all these people this great value. And thanks for the amazing day that I'm about to have. Thanks for having me on. It was an amazing awesome. week. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and there it was. I like how we ended on action. We ended with some concrete things that you can put in motion and put to use right away. And that's what I'm trying to also get better at is not only telling these stories, learning the lessons, but then kind of saying, how does it translate to you, the listener, right now in this moment? How can you put it to work? So as much as I can sort of pull that out or, or figure that out, I will give it. Um, Tom made it insanely easy because he literally does this to a science. Um, I really suggest if you liked the interview to go check him out. Check out his YouTube page, especially. Follow him on Instagram. He's got a ton of really good information, really good content, really motivational. But like I said it's based in fact it's not based in some sort of um hippie you can do whatever you want just put your mind to it sort of instagram square thing it's real and it's applicable and there's books you can read and there's things that you can accomplish so that's something that uh, something that i am very thankful to tom for for coming on and sharing and that's it leave me some good feedback let me know what you think of the show. Go to my YouTube page, youtube.com slash drama, drama. Subscribe, watch some of the videos. Um, and go to youngandreckless.com and use the promo code SSL for 40% off all full price. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I'll be back. Thanks.